0: While we were in college, my friends and I had maybe the worst housemate to ever exist. For this story, I'll call her M. M started off relatively normal, mostly just being difficult to deal with when she was drinking. The problem was that M started getting drunk more and more often, and it was contributing to emotional and mental issues that were lying dormant, ready to explode. She had a lot to deal with, and while we were all unnerved by her destructive actions... We started off just feeling bad for her. We tried to keep her safe and on many, many occasions we tried to get her the help that she needed. But her friends outside the house either enabled her or completely ignored her when she was blacked out. So it was always up to us to deal with the fallout. A lot of the things she did were either just funny or gross. Stuff like going into the kitchen and taking a bite out of a raw potato. Or constantly peeing her bed in her sleep while guys were in it. As time went on, however, things started getting more annoying. After one friend made a beautifully glazed ham for Friendsgiving, M went into the fridge while drunk and dropped the entire leftover ham on the floor. Another time, she threw her pea-soaked panties in the corner of the living room and left them there for a week. And then, there are the more disturbing things. We found out quickly that she was notoriously violent while drinking, which made her extremely hard to control this led to actions like punching your best friend directly in the face and biting a guy so hard that he cried the housemate that experienced the most of M's violence however was my friend Christine M singled out Christine very early on as someone she didn't like and would always do the most dangerous things around her one night M was trying to cut her shoelaces with a kitchen knife because she couldn't untie them when Christine tried to help her and tell her to just put the knife down M threw it across the room at her. Another time, when it was just M, Christine, and Christine's boyfriend in the house, M tried to set her bed on fire while everyone else was asleep. She even stole Christine's boyfriend's phone one time and left terrifying voicemails on Christine's phone, sobbing and yelling gibberish. For a while, though, it seemed like maybe M was going to get better. She had actually been getting some help, and we went a good while without any incidents. But then, about four months before our lease was up, she got into an argument about parking with Christine's boyfriend, who lived across the hall from us. It was a small, meaningless argument, but because we didn't immediately take her side, she decided that from that point on, she was going to completely shun the entire household. This began a spiral back into her drinking and into her anger and emotional issues, and because it had all started with Christine's boyfriend of course christine was the one who attracted the most of her hate all of this culminated in a night i will never forget it was about 2 weeks to the end of our lease and we were all so relieved to be getting out of that apartment em had been staying in her room almost exclusively and her sister was visiting and keeping her busy so we all kind of let our guard down it was friday and everyone in the house had plans to go out that night except for christine who had a final the next day. Another one of our housemates and I were at a party several blocks away from our apartment when I got a call from Christine at around 1am. I walked out of the party where it was quieter and answered the call. Christine's tone was confused and concerned. I think something's happening, she said. What do you mean? I answered. I was already nervous because Christine isn't the type to worry needlessly. I think Em and her sister are fighting. They were out and Em got drunk. I'm in my room. I I can hear yelling, but it, it sounds like it's getting physical. I knew Christine wouldn't have called me if it wasn't a big deal, so I figured I needed to do something. I asked Christine if she was okay and if I should call the police or come home, but she said she wasn't sure. She was tired and mostly concerned about getting enough sleep at this point. I was thinking about how we should handle the situation when suddenly I heard commotion on the line. I heard a bang and some shouting, Christine's voice had gone silent. Then another bang and then Christine's voice was back on the line. She told me that M had just burst into her room, glaring at her in a rage and then M's sister had yanked her from the room and shut the door once again. They were deathly in a physical struggle. Christine was keeping me up to date on what she was hearing. While I was growing more and more concerned for her safety, she told me that there was a huge thump, and it sounded like M's sister had just body slammed M into the wall to subdue her. Meanwhile, M was screaming bloody murder and saying things like, I just want to die. Just let me die. I hate you. I was already about to start walking home when suddenly Christine went unnervingly silent. What is it? What's happening? I asked. Christine paused for another moment, listening, then she said, Oh my god, I think it happened, I think someone got stabbed. I felt chilled to the bone when I heard this. What do you mean? What do you hear? I asked frantically. I I heard the knife drawer open, I think M went for the knife. Someone's crying really softly, I I can only hear one voice. I basically started sprinting back home. I told Christine to stay in her room and that I would call the police and meet them outside the apartment. I was shaking as I called them. Not only was there possibly a severely injured person in the house, but if M really did have the kitchen knife, then I was seriously worried for Christine being in there alone. The police came right away and I watched from outside as multiple officers dragged a screaming and struggling M from the apartment, looking completely unhinged. It took an officer practically slamming her against the police car to subdue her enough to be cuffed. When I entered the apartment, I was shocked and relieved to find M's sister alive and miraculously not bleeding, except for her hand, which M had stabbed with the barbecue fork we kept in the kitchen drawer. It just so happened that earlier that day, M had used the kitchen knife and left it in the sink, instead of it in its usual place in the drawer. When she went to grab a weapon, she... Could only find the barbecue fork. The police took statements from everyone in the house, and Christine and I made it very clear that this was not M's first instance of violence. M's sister was in complete shock. She had no idea that M acted like this when she was drunk or that she struggled with so many personal demons. My housemates and I were all positive that M would be institutionalized. Imagine our shock when M and her sister entered the apartment a few days later. Apparently M's sister had undermined the severity of their fight and vouched for M's stability, causing her to be released. We were baffled, but it seemed like M had learned her lesson enough to avoid us as much as possible in the next few days before we moved out, lest we call the cops on her again. We got through the last week without any major incidents, and M moved out a day before the rest of us. Luckily, I had the privilege of never seeing her again. It was a harrowing experience living with her and it's something that my friends and I will probably talk about for the rest of our lives. I'm just glad that all of us got through it without getting hurt. The scary part is though that there were so many times when one of us could have gotten hurt, especially that night when Em and her sister fought. The thing that sticks with me the most is how fortuitous it was that Em had grabbed the barbecue fork instead of her favorite kitchen knife that night. If the knife had been in its usual place in the drawer, I hate to think what might have happened to M's sister or my friend, Christine. This happened a few years ago in my hometown. I'm not going to say where to protect the privacy of my best friend, but Everyone should be on the lookout for these types of situations as they are growing increasingly more common. My best friend in undergrad, we'll call her M, and I were extremely close. We worked together, had the same degree, had the same hobbies, most of the same classes, the same friend group, and lived very near to each other. As a result, we were with each other very often, so very rarely alone. Keep this in mind as the story goes on. M was picking up her cats from a friend's house and parked her car on the street outside. She put the cats in the car, ran to lock the front door, and came back. It took maybe ten seconds to lock it and run back, but she didn't lock her car. About halfway to her house, she realized that her purse containing makeup, hundreds of dollars, checks from work, her passport, all of her IDs and cards, and bills for her apartment with her address on them were missing from the passenger seat. She had been running errands to prepare for a trip to her hometown, which is why she had all of these things with her. Pulling over, she looked at her bank account online to see someone had already tried to use the card at a gas station five minutes away, so she cancelled her card and drove home. When telling me the story, I pointed out that whoever took her purse was so fast that they had to have been watching her, and she agreed. She reported it all to the police, but wasn't expecting anything to come from it as we lived in an area notorious for theft at the time. A month or so later, she received a phone call from a detective saying that they had found all of her items except the cash. M told the detective it was fine, as she already had new ones. The detective paused for a moment and then told M that they would not be returning her items at all, as they were now evidence in an investigation. When M asked what she meant the detective told her that they found all of her items with a woman who is known to be involved in human trafficking. The area where the woman was arrested is also a common route human traffickers take, and our state is one of the hotspots for trafficking in the U.S. Along with the stolen items, there were pictures of M from several months prior walking around our college campus and our work and hanging out with friends on her birthday. There are also photos of her friends and other girls that we didn't know. These people had her hometown address, her address in the state where we lived, where we worked, the places we ate and hung out, her university ID card, knew she had animals and where she walked them, where she did her banking, what kind of car she drove and who her friends were. Naturally, her boyfriend who was in the military lost it and had his friends sit outside the house when... He wasn't home and escort her to and from work at night for the next few months. It didn't seem like I was a target, but I still had my boyfriend use my car to drive me to and from work for a while, and I bought pepper spray for my keychain. In the aftermath of finding this out we realized a few things. Despite being followed at fairly close range, somehow neither of us ever noticed somebody following us, probably because the person was a woman. Most of the opportunities for someone to take her, such as walking to her car or house at night, were probably missed because either her boyfriend or I were with her. They must have been learning the schedules of everyone around her as well to see when there were times she was truly alone. Since they already knew so much about her before stealing all of her information, there must be a big boss somewhere who has at least some information about her, including what she looks like. The one thing they didn't seem to have photos of were her hiking with her dogs. Either they didn't know she hiked, often alone, or they were worried it would be too obvious if someone were to follow her, thus tipping her off. And perhaps the most terrifying, if they decided after all this time to make a move and steal her things, they must have been planning to do something big fairly soon. It's likely they took her IDs in order to make fake ones to get her out of the country undetected. Unfortunately, I can't give an update as nothing ever happened after the arrest. And every time she asks about the case, the detective says it's an inactive investigation and they can't disclose any information. We've never actually seen the photos either. All the explanation was done over the phone. It's been three years since all this happened. And even though we've moved past it, it still terrifies me to think about what would have happened if they hadn't found that woman. I urge everyone to be aware of their surroundings. Be wary of anyone following you, not just men. Stay with your friends, check in on them to see if they made it home safe, and always, always lock your doors. Allow me to give some information about me before we get into the story. I'm a 23-year-old woman, and I'm a little alternative-looking, I guess. I have long black hair with a bright green fringe. I have my septum and my medusa pierced. I'm heavily tattooed, and I dress in a rather gothic fashion. I also live in the middle of nowhere, where my house is big and looks like something from a horror movie, but I love it. And now to the story. It's a long one, so please bear with me. This happened when I was 20. I had just moved into a big old spooky house against my parents' wishes as they found the place too creepy. But that is exactly when I bought it. It was classed as a fixer upper house, so I got it for quite cheap. As a moving-in present, my parents bought me a beautiful German Shepherd puppy. He was mainly to put my dad's mind at ease with me living out here by myself. He's gorgeous. He's also very special as he is also a chimera. If you don't know what that means, it's when two morphs mold together into one beautiful animal. His dad was a black German Shep and his mother was a pure white one, so he was split directly down the middle with one black eye and one blue eye. Safe to say, he is my pride and joy and I love him so much. His name is Cobalt, by the way. I had been living in this house for a few months at the time this happened. Cobalt, like most pups, grew up fast and he was super playful And like most puppies he needs a lot of walking and as i work from home i have a lot of time to do that i hadn't really had a chance to get to know my neighbors as i have mentioned already i live in the middle of nowhere so i don't really have any neighbors besides the trees there's a few houses a few miles down the road an elderly couple who are lovely who i've gotten to know very well over the years and a young man who will call max for the story Max was quite creepy when he first came around to say hi and was thrilled when he found out I was on my own and he came around quite a lot until we found out I had a girlfriend and then he got really possessive and, and one night while my girlfriend was over he came around and demanded to know who she was and why she was in his girl's house. He made it apparent he hated my girlfriend and wanted her out of my life. He also hated my dog, and Cobalt always grounded at him, so I guess the feeling was mutual. So on this day I got ready for a run and packed my backpack with everything we would need and we began our run. So we were running when I suddenly felt like we were being watched, but I just brushed it off and carried on, running, but the feeling was always at the back of my mind. After about an hour and a half of running, we headed back to the house. The closer we got to my house the more uneasy I began to feel. I felt quite sick and unsafe so we sprinted back into my house and locked all my doors and windows and closed the blinds to make sure no one could see in. I had a quick shower with Cobalt waiting at the door for me as he always did. Once I got out I picked up my cell phone and called my girlfriend to see if she could come over. My girlfriend is six foot three easily, she works as a bouncer and is heavily tattooed so she comes across as intimidating but Once you get to know her she's super friendly. Thankfully she said she could come over and she began the long hour drive to my house. She had to wait for the lease in her apartment to end before she could move in with me. She had a key so I waited for her to come in before going to bed and she checked every inch of my house before we went to bed. I felt safer with her and Cobalt around. Cobalt was at the end of the bed. I felt so uneasy. It was about 3 a.m. when we were awoken by Cobalt growling on the landing at something downstairs. All of his hairs were stood up. Suddenly, without warning, he shot down the stairs barking, and that was met with a blood-curdling scream. We both shot up and ran down the stairs. Cobalt was lying down next to a limp figure on the floor holding his arm in his mouth to keep it in place. Considering Cobalt is still only a puppy... He was super strong and knew he needed to protect. My girlfriend ran down the stairs first and turned on the lights. There on the floor was a guy with a potato sack over his head lying on his tummy with his arm in my dog's mouth and next to my dog is what looked to be a baseball bat lying on the floor. My girlfriend quickly grabbed the guy's hands behind his back and ripped the sack off of his head to reveal. It was Max. He started screaming, telling my girlfriend he was going to be my husband one day and how he needed to get her out of the way and my stupid dog. Cobalt was still close to my girlfriend just in case Max tried anything while the police were on their way. Max was charged with breaking and entering. I don't know what his plan was because he didn't know my girlfriend was over. Her car had broken down so she walked and got a tow truck to pick her car up. I don't know what his intentions were. I don't wish to know, but all I know is it would have been really bad if Cobalt hadn't been there. I'm so thankful for my dog and he will always be my hero. The year was 1977 and I was 14 years old. I used to live with my mom, dad and my sister in a house. We live in a city called Calaris in Brazil. My dad used to work as a construction worker in the city and he also had a corn farm away from there. The city was small, had a little more than a thousand people. We used to go to the school by morning and the school was inside the church. We would go out and play with my friends during the afternoon and we would still be playing until night. There were other small villages around and the kids from these villages would join us too. It all started mid-August. Me and five of my friends were walking in a region we called The Beach. The Beach was a place somewhat far away from the city, surrounded by woods. We used to go there sometimes. We would start a fire and sit around it to tell each other stories. We had some dogs with us that day. All of a sudden we started to smell something strange. It was like this weird chemical smell. The dogs then started to bark in the direction of the woods. We all looked at the tree line, trying to see something. Me and one of my friends stood up and we got two big sticks we would leave around the place for emergencies. The dogs got more and more agitated. We then saw some movement in the woods. The dogs ran in the direction of the movement and before we could do anything they disappeared in the darkness. We tried following them but they were too fast and their barks would get more and more distant. The noises then stopped. We kept running. We eventually found the dogs all dead. They all had that chemical smell and one of them had this weird transparent goo in his mouth. They also didn't have any injuries. I remember that I cried a lot that night. One of the dogs was mine and I really liked him. Some weeks later everything was normal. I was at my house sleeping. I woke up in the middle of the night. I heard two or three cars accelerating through the road in front of my house. I found it a bit weird but thought nothing more of it. I went to sleep again. That morning, I got ready for school. As soon as I opened the door, two of my friends were waiting for me. They started telling me what happened during the night. Apparently, one of the villages got attacked by some sort of light. I didn't believe them at first. However, when we went by the only clinic in town, there were more people than usual in front of it. One girl was sitting in front of the clinic, crying. We knew that girl. She would sometimes play with us, and she was from another village. We quickly went to her and asked what happened. She then told us a story that gave me goosebumps. Apparently everything was okay until 11pm. The people of her house were at the living room talking. Suddenly they hear some commotion outside. As they went to see there were some people pointing at the skies. So they looked up as well. She said they could see some weird lights in the sky. They were almost round and would illuminate some of the clouds near it. She got scared and decided to go back home. As she was getting back, a huge flash of light illuminated the village. She ran inside and hid, meanwhile listening to people screaming outside. The flashes would continue and a buzz sound would fill the air, then it finally stopped. She heard her dad coming inside with her mom, both in pain After that, some of the people from the village went around to check on everyone. Her mom and dad were vomiting in the living room when the people came. They got everyone inside a car and took them to the hospital. That story scared me and my friends. We all got to school later and all of our friends looked weirded out as well. A quick question and they told us they knew about what had happened too. We had classes with the priest as normal and later we went home. After lunch, me and my friends decided to go around a bit. You could see a change in the atmosphere of the town. People were scared about what happened. We then went to the beach again, me and my friends, and as we used to do, we stayed there until night. The moon was illuminating the sky and reflecting on the river. Then we heard a weird noise over in the distance. Suddenly, a big shadow covers the moon. When we looked up, we couldn't move from so much fear. Right on top of us, there was this black thing, a huge dark ellipsoid with lights under it. It was big and standing still on top of us. One of my friends screamed, and we started running into the woods. We hid ourselves into a sort of cave, unaware if the thing was really after us, and we stood there for a while. After we decided it was safe, we went running into town again. As soon as we got next to it, we could hear something was wrong as we could hear screams in the distance. As we got to it, some people were crying and screaming in the streets. I quickly ran to my house. As I got there, my dad was going out of my house holding my mom. I immediately helped him carrying my mother, who was crying in pain. We went to the hospital. When we got there, a lot more people were there too. The one medic was running side to side, trying to calm people down. In the light of the hospital, I could talk to my dad about what happened. He said that they heard a noise outside and stayed inside in fear. People could see the light in the sky again. When the flashes started, they were inside. Apparently a flash came from a hole in the roof and got to my mom. Where the flash hit her, there were two needle-like holes. The area where the flash just hit was marked and had black marks in it. As more people would come in, I would hear around people talking about the injuries. Apparently the injuries were almost exact to each other. Even the people who got totally exposed by the flashes, all they had were two needle-like holes and some black marks. When it was finally dawn, my father gathered some friends and they went to the mayor's house. It was at this point in the hospital that I heard the name for the first time. They were calling these flashes the Chupa Chupa, Suck Suck in English, because some people reported that the light was sucking blood from them. The days passed and more places started reporting the incident people would light big bonfires at the main square in fear of the flashes then the military arrived and they set up camp near the town i had seen guns before but nothing quite like that they had this big anti-air gun it was installed in the middle of the base this didn't stop the things from happening every day more and more people were attacked. The feeling of hopelessness finally made a good part of my town to move away and me and my family went to a village at around 40 kilometers from the city. We had a small farm there where my dad used to grow corn. We thought we would be safe there and I had to quit school because of the whole deal. So my routine through the day was I would help my dad during the day and I would hang out with some friends from the neighborhood later. Things were pretty calm for a week until one day when the lights came I was at home with my parents and we had to hide from the flashes under a big table in the kitchen. Some of the other families weren't so lucky and got hit by them. My dad took it upon himself to take some people to Kolaris hospital. The next day he didn't come home. I attended to the farm as usual, waiting for him to come back. Later I got on my bicycle and went to hang around with the other kids. We went pretty far from town. When it was almost dark we were already gone back and i saw my dad's car back through the road he didn't stop as we were all going back together me and the other kids the thing is all of the kids would go home and i would have to ride another 12 minutes until i got home it was dark already and i was alone about halfway home then i saw the lights in the sky and the flashes started this time as i was riding my bicycle I didn't have a single space to hide from the flashes. As soon as the first flash hit me, I fell to the ground, paralyzed. I couldn't move nor scream, and I felt the pain of the flashes scorching my skin. When the lights stopped, I got up. Two holes were open near my neck and I had black marks all over me. I went home, stumbled here and there from the pain. That was about the last straw for my father. He got me in the car and went to the hospital with me. There at least three more people were waiting, all victims of the flashes. All the family had to stay in the church while they waited for me to get treated. I spent the next day in the hospital as I had more wounds from the bicycle fall. At that night we heard strange noises while in the hospital. It all started with a weird buzz. I recognized it from that day at the beach and started crying. Suddenly another noise. A helicopter it went by the city really fast sometime later a loud noise i never heard an anti-air gun before but from the noise i knew it was that thing firing at something then everything got quiet we went back to the farm the next day we could see the remaining people of the town were all on edge for what happened the other day at this point it was at the end of february about a week later the military went back to the capital For some time in the next months, we would still see the lights but the flashes that used to hurt us were gone. The town went back to normal then, so I grew up in this town and in 1989 my dad passed away. I then went to live in the corn farm and the small house we had there. The house wasn't big but it had everything I needed. I used to tend to the crops during the day and made a chicken coop. One night I was almost asleep but suddenly the dogs started barking outside. I had these big dogs for protection. I stood up from my bed, got my gun and went to check outside. I could hear something moving on the cornfield. As I got outside I started to smell something weird, a chemical smell. I stood outside in the front door looking at the movement in the cornfield. Something then blocks the light of the moon. I look up. I see the same black shape I had seen years ago. When I looked back down again, I could see a thing. A small humanoid figure, thin, about one and a half meters tall. It had brownish pale skin, a big head, big bulgy black eyes. When I looked at it, I felt a strong headache. I twisted myself and managed to get inside my house and close the door. I was so scared I even ended up peeing myself. I then sat at the corner of the living room, gun pointed at the door. The dogs kept barking outside. I saw shadows passing in the front of the window but I refused to look at them. I stood there until I could see the light of the moon again and the smell disappeared. I got up, ran to my car and drove all the way to my sister's house at the capital. I went back there to get my stuff but I would never live near that region again. A friend of mine still lives there. says that from time to time, he can still see the lights in the sky. When I met Alan Morse more than four years ago, I had just started working at this small family-styled restaurant as a cook in Greenville, Michigan. One of the two owners used to be a manager at one of the McDonald's in town years before where both my older sisters had worked, and so she knew me pretty well. I never had a problem with Alan, as he always treated me and everyone else with respect. He mostly kept to himself, but did every now and then, open up to us all as if he was having a good day. Alan did not hide the fact that he had a lengthy criminal record and had been incarcerated for many years before coming to the restaurant where he would work very hard. He had a new girlfriend who had a kid that Alan loved very much and was trying to start his life over as best he could. One day, Alan called in and said that he wasn't feeling very well, which we all believed, as to us he was a pretty trustworthy guy. He started taking more time off and started to call in quite frequently. I usually helped to close the restaurant at night and only worked four-hour shifts but every so often my boss would schedule me to work a morning shift. So when I saw that I was scheduled to work with Alan the following morning, I was pretty happy. I arrived and immediately said hello to Alan. Usually to this he would respond with a grin and hello back, but didn't say anything. I said it again, nothing. He was standing by one of the flat-top grills just staring off into space. I walked over to him and said hello for a third time while touching his shoulder. He jumped and looked startled. I apologized, but he laughed it off as nothing and said that he was just tired. We had a great shift and left around the same time that day, just as the afternoon crew had come in to relieve us. It had been a few days before I worked again, and when I came in to start my shift, everyone was acting odd. So I asked one of the other cooks what was going on. She said that Alan was arrested. Amazed, I asked what, for what reason... She stated for suspected break-ins in the Stanton, Michigan area. There had been many robberies that had happened in the Stanton area that went on for many weeks. The other cook that was with us told me that the police had believed it had all been Allen the entire time. We were all shocked as Alan had appeared to be doing so well that the thought of him going back to crime and then jail didn't seem real. I would like to say that this is where my story ends, but it doesn't. Some time goes on with no news of Alan. He could have still been in jail for all we knew or laying low somewhere, until one day when he walked through the back door of the restaurant with a big smile on his face. The two other cooks on the shift with me and the owners all greeted Alan and asked how he was doing. He said that he was fine and that he was just getting some things in order and said that he would be returning to work very soon. Months go by and everything with Alan is normal until we just stopped showing up to work altogether. We were told that he was in trouble with the law again. One day I get a text from one of my coworkers with an article attached that says, Man arrested an elderly Montcalm County man's murder. With a picture of Alan's mugshot attached to the article. The man had been shot multiple times with a 22 caliber round in his home between March 27th and March 30th, 2015. The morning that Alan was acting weird made more sense to me now. That morning shift was during the time that the man was murdered. I could have even worked with him the day after he committed this heinous crime, but I'll never know. They had suspected Alan because this was the same area that all of the break-ins and robberies had taken place, one of the break-ins being just two houses down from the man that was killed. Alan broke into the home not knowing that the man was there as he had thought he had left the house. The man was sleeping and woke up to find Alan. I am sure Allen ended the man's life because he didn't want the cops called and the break-in reported. When the man was found, the police noted that there were several missing firearms from the house and his cell phone had been taken as well. Alan was convicted of murder of an 80-year-old Dale Nelson and was sentenced to 26 to 75 years behind bars. It was later found out that Allen stored many of the belongings he stole not only from Dale Nelson's house but others as well in the shed that was owned by the restaurant that we had worked at together. The shed was on the other side of the parking lot and rarely used so it was a good hiding place. Allen was also in possession of owning some lewd child pictures and the tools that he had used to break into the house. It goes to show you that you never truly know who you were working with. This happened years ago when I was around 14, 27 now. I might butcher the story since it had been 13 years or so ago, but it was 100% true. My family and I were down in Mexico visiting family during the Christmas holiday. On this day, my aunt and cousin Susie, who was around 19, came over to our house. My aunt wanted to talk to my mom about something. I can't remember what, but my younger sister, Nell, who was around 4, wanted to go with Susie to play. Susie told my mom that it would be fine. She could look after Nell while we did whatever we were doing. don't remember what we were doing. I think cleaning out the storage area or something. Mom agreed and told Susie my siblings and I would pick her up before 7, And that's when the nightly prayers began around seven o'clock my siblings and i went over to susie's house to pick up Nell. when we arrived to her house we spotted them playing near the street on top of an old truck susie saw us and looked really relieved to see us i'm so glad to see you here craziest thing happened susie told us what happened and why were you outside lynn my eldest sister asked her soon susie told us what happened When they arrived hours ago, Susie took Nell to her room to play with old dolls she had. They were having fun and everything was going great, until Nell shushed Susie. Why are you shushing me? Susie whispered. Carrie's over there, and she isn't happy. Nell whispered, pointing at Susie's closet. Carrie is Susie's older sister and she was out of town at that time, which Susie told Nell. Nell shook her head and pointed at the closet again. Carrie's angry. She wants to hurt us. Susie was starting to get spooked and looked at her closet. Her closet at the time didn't have a door but a semi-transparent curtain. She didn't see anything and asked Nell what Carrie was doing. She's watching us. Susie, she's coming. Nell whispered, Nell hugging Susie's arm. Susie wasn't sure if she imagined it or actually saw it, but she saw a hand appear in the closet and was starting to push the curtain aside. Susie grabbed Nell and ran downstairs. Trying to calm herself down, she put a movie on for Nell to keep her distracted and went back upstairs to her room. The moment she got to the top landing, she saw her bedroom door was closed. She knew she didn't close it, and it would make a loud noise when it closed since it was made of metal. She didn't know what else to do, so she placed a chair in front of the door and hurried downstairs and joined Nell. Once the movie was over, Susie asked Nell what else she wants to do, but once again, Nell shushed her and pointed at the stairs. Carrie is angry at you. She's coming. Susie grabbed Nell and dragged her out of the house, out on the street, and that's when we showed up. We were kind of spooked by the story, and Susie was just happy we were there. I'm sure it's nothing, maybe just an act of imagination, Jess, my older sister, said. Susie shrugged, still a bit shaken when Nell shushed us all. Carrie is watching, Nell whispered, pointing at the second floor window. That's when we all booked it and ran toward the church, where my aunt was cleaning. We haven't told my aunt or our parents what had happened, probably thinking we just got spooked by a four-year-old until five years ago. Jess randomly brought up that day and told my mom about it, laughing it off as our imaginations running wild. Did this ghost look like Carrie? My mom asked. A shiver went down her spines. We haven't mentioned that part to her. Did the ghost look like Carrie? My mom asked. A shiver went down her spines. We haven't mentioned that part to her. Did Susie tell you? Jess asked. No, because I know Susie's house is haunted. There's a ghost that looks like your cousin Carrie. I know because you mentioned this before when you were around seven. Do you and Lynn remember sleeping over at Susie's house? No. Why? Good. You forgot. Was all my mom said and left it at that? That story's for another time, but... Now we know that my cousin's house is haunted and what my sister saw that day was an actual ghost. I live in a neighborhood, well it's more of a highway with houses at the side of the road. I wouldn't recommend walking since there's no sidewalks, I wish I gave myself that warning two years ago. I had some friends with me at the time, a boy and two girls, let's call the boy Dan, and the girl will be called Sarah, and girl two will be called Hazel. We decided to make our little squad of explorers, exploring forests and abandoned structures and such. Today is our first exploration, an abandoned house just at the very end of the neighborhood, so we start walking. We avoid the road by walking on the tall grass, which is very unpleasant, causing us to walk on the edge of the road. We reached the house. I looked up the house a year after and it was built in the 1940s owned by a man who abandoned it after having to live in the nursing home. This was the 80s though and the house had been left alone since. We were outside for a little while and Dan says we should go inside. I was excited but Sarah was not very happy. She sat on the moldy wood staircase and had to process everything before she went in. I can't blame her what if there were squatters inside about to ambush us we decided to check out the well it was a stone round well which looked kind of like the well in the ring there was a piece of old wood covering the top and dan decided to be super reckless and stomped on the wood like a maniac his leg fell through the small opening and if he would have fell in we would have been in big trouble He lifted his leg out of the opening and acted like nothing just happened. I couldn't imagine. He almost fell down a well with what I saw were sharp rocks at the bottom and he just brushed it off. Anyways, we got a little carried away and started throwing random stuff down the well. Figurines, rocks, fake flower pots, etc. We went inside the house. When we went inside, a very strong odor emitted from the door. It didn't just smell like old house. It smelled like a plumbing accident. It was very gross, but smells aside, we came across a bunch of weird things. Clothes packed in a freezer, a fireplace with dolls inside, an upside down table. Kind of looked like an art museum. We were very happy to find lots of vintage things inside of every cabinet and drawer. Things started to get kind of eerie. We entered the bedroom, and the roof was caved in clothes with stains everywhere, and worst of all, a black ooze was lined across the ceiling. I was going to vomit at this point. We also heard some distinct chewing sound. We left the room, and we froze. We saw a shadow at the corner of the door, but it was fast. It bolted back into the room it came from. We heard a huff, followed by a cough, which was enough for us to leave the house, but as the dumb kids we were, we stayed at the premises. A man who wore a scruffy looking shirt with torn gym shorts opened the front door. We froze in shock. Who was there and how didn't we notice him? The mood turned from scary to horrific as he lifts his arm to reveal a chunk of raw meat of where his skin used to be with the blood still dripping from it. We heard a neighbor shout, Get out of here! and we run for it. I haven't told my parents but we'll plan to in the future. I don't want to be lectured at again for doing things that could have got me hurt or hurt the people around me. I haven't heard anything about that house ever since and I can't imagine what he would have done to us if we were caught. I practice Taekwondo in a stadium in my city. It's a dangerous place, but I have been living all my life there and nothing has happened to me, so normally I forget about the robs and drugs and all of that. One day I was chatting with a friend in the entrance of the stadium and there was a guy shirtless and with a lot of muscles. He was just standing in front of a wall reading something so none of us care about him. Some minutes later we say goodbye and leave to different places. I decide to walk to my house. I live about 30-40 to minutes away because I had time and was a nice day, so while I was walking, I saw the same guy from before. He was walking in the street and fighting with the drivers. All I thought was that he was on some drugs and just kept walking. About 10 minutes later, he disappeared. Some minutes passed and nothing happened. I was just listening to music and walking. But 20 minutes later, or more or less, the guy passed me. I was kind of shocked because he appeared from nowhere but he passed me so I thought I was being way too paranoid. Then he stands in the same cross I was and he watched me. I felt weird and texted my mom that I was close to home and asked her to open the door. It's important to describe my house for this. I live in a third floor, but it's not a normal building. There are houses in the ground level with second floor backyard and everything. In between two houses there is a stair that lets you in the third floor there are more houses over the ones on the ground level and I live on the third so when I get to the stairs the door was open and my dog was waiting for me so I sit on the floor and pet her then my mom was like be careful there's someone behind you move so he can pass I reply with an okay stand up and went to the stairs without looking back we started walking to my door I went inside my house and looked back and there he was The shirtless guy was behind me all along and he just was standing outside of my house. My mom closed the door and freaked out. She asked me if I knew him, if he had talked to me or something. I looked at her confused, still shocked. She started calling my dad, loud enough so the guy outside could hear it. My dad didn't hear her, but that was enough. The guy finally left. This happened some months ago, but it still freaks me out. He saw me, and he followed me, and now he knows where I live." This took place between 2014 and 2015 when I was renting a small two-bedroom house with my now ex-girlfriend in a fairly up-and-coming city in the UK. The house was in a quiet suburban neighborhood. It was small and was laid out so that the kitchen and living room were open plan. There was no space for a dining room but there was just about enough space under the stairs for a four person table. The neighborhood was only about 13 years old and there is a beautiful park outside the front of the house with a nice open field where people would walk their dogs, jog and have picnics. I didn't get any unsettling feelings about the house nor did I feel that there was anything off. I'm usually sensitive towards these things. When I was younger I used to see and hear things I couldn't explain. A man praying at the foot of my bed, a woman whispering my name while I laid in bed. But as I got older these occurrences became more and more rare until they stopped altogether. Now I don't get anything more than a feeling of being watched or a cold air wash over me. The only things remotely eerie about our new home was that the park next to the house is called the Roman Park, because of the ruins of an old Roman villa which makes it a bit of a local attraction in the city I live in. After the first few months of moving and everything was great, my girlfriend and I would get home, make dinner, watch TV, and go to bed. We had two cats who would often wake us up in the middle of the night because, as anyone with cats will tell you, cats only want your attention when you're not giving it to them. They would walk on our faces, knock things over, jump on the bed, and run up and down the stairs. It was almost comforting to know that they were there. Sometimes they would stand in the bedroom doorway and meow at us until we woke up. This is how they told us that they wanted to go outside. We didn't have a cap flap, so we had to let them in and out. One night, my girlfriend and I are watching TV when out of the corner of my eye to the left, I see something moving on the stairs. I turn to look and there is nothing there. I ignore it thinking maybe it was a trick of the mind but it happens again. I keep my attention focused on the stairs trying to work out what caught my attention when my girlfriend says did you also see that? Yeah, I said. It looked like someone was standing there. We get a little bit freaked out and even more so when we realize that the cats are both fixated on the stairs as well. This is a little weird and I get a bit creeped out but we kind of shrug it off and carry on with the movie. A few nights go by and the same thing happens again. This time my girlfriend and I turn our heads at exactly the same time. It looks like someone in a white dress, my girlfriend said to me. Instantly I get goosebumps because now I know we saw the same thing. This becomes more and more frequent and we decide that maybe we should try to ignore it or keep looking forward but pay attention to what we see out of the corner of our eyes. Soon we started seeing this thing almost every day, multiple times a day and even in the early afternoon. In an effort to relieve our fears we turn it into a bit of a joke. Our back door was a sliding door with small vents at the top. When the wind blew in a very particular direction and came in through the vents they made a noise similar to a kazoo. We started referring this as a lonely party ghost and that was the name we gave to the thing we kept seeing on the stairs. Anytime something went missing, lonely party ghosts, a weird unexplainable noise, lonely party ghosts. This helped us feel better, but I don't think it helped with whatever was in our house. As time went on, I would wake up in a sweat with my girlfriend standing on the other side of the room, lights on, looking absolutely terrified. When I asked her what was wrong, she told me I had been screaming. I'm usually a light sleeper and I had never had an issue with night terrors or sleep talking so this was very unusual for me. It started to become regular. I'd wake up, my girlfriend would have the light on and she would tell me that I had been screaming bloody murder. I woke myself up once from screaming but I couldn't remember what I had been dreaming about. As the screaming got worse, so did the frequency of lonely party ghost appearances. It started becoming clearer and more vivid. What started as a blur in the corner of our eyes had now become a fully formed figure that would stand in the doorway of our bedroom at night. When this first happened, I thought I was imagining it, some sort of half-asleep dream spilling into the real world except it stayed there, motionless, staring at us long after I was fully lucid. As you can imagine, this woke me up bloody quickly, but even in my wide-awake state, it was still there, More weird things happened after that. My girlfriend woke me up because I had punched her in my sleep. I would wake up screaming, drenched in sweat. I would hear walking in the house and things being knocked over. My girlfriend heard it too and it was keeping us awake. She then said to me, please put the cats outside, but when I went to look for them, they were nowhere. I opened the curtains which were covering the back sliding door and there they were sitting on the outside deck waiting to be let in. This sent chills down my arms and I ran upstairs to tell her that they had been outside the whole time. The figure in the doorway started showing up more often and no matter how many times we closed the bedroom door, it would slowly swing open. More often than not, it would be the cat's as the door lock wouldn't latch when you closed it and all you had to do was give it a push to open it without turning the doorknob. Toward the end of our tenancy, my girlfriend wakes me up gently in the middle of the night by nudging me and whispering my name. I ask her what's wrong, and she tells me she thinks there's someone downstairs. We had made it a routine to leave the cats out at night, so we knew that any noises in the house were not caused by them. I don't know if that made us feel better or worse, but as we lay there in the dark and listened to someone going through our kitchen drawers, we were frozen in fear. I feel that it's my responsibility as the man of the house to go and investigate any potential burglary, so after taking a deep breath and mustering all the courage I could find, I go out of bed and tiptoe to the top of the stairs. I heard the noises getting louder as I approached. It sounded like someone had climbed through the kitchen window, over the sink and was now going through our cupboards. Had I left the window open? We often did this when we were cooking to let some of the heat out of the house but we always made sure that they were closed when we went to bed. I had an idea to take my phone and record video with a flashlight on it just in case I was attacked or hurt. That way my potential murderer would be caught on film. I took a step down the stairs, stopping and looking through the banister at the living room. The noises continued. I took another step. There was a creak as the wood beneath my foot took my weight the noises stopped for a brief second before continuing. They were going through the glass cupboard now. I could hear the clicking of glasses being knocked against each other. I took a few more steps down and shone my phone's flashlight into the kitchen and the noises stopped. I looked around and couldn't see anything out of place. The kitchen windows were closed. The cupboard doors were closed. The curtains were dead still. There was no one there. I did a quick sweep of the house ready to punch anyone I saw, but there wasn't anybody i know that based on everything that has happened up until this point i probably should have attributed this to lonely party ghosts but honestly it didn't even cross my mind i heard a noise thought we were being burgled and was fully expecting to fight someone i checked that all the windows and doors were locked checked everywhere that someone could potentially hide but i found nothing My adrenaline was pumping so hard that I could hear my heart beating in my ears. I let out a short sigh of relief and went to the back door to let the cats in, but just then I noticed something on my phone screen. A bright light shining from the other side of the room. I looked at my phone, confused by what I was seeing. I looked up and couldn't see any light at all. The area where the light was coming from was a blank wall. When I looked back at my phone, it was still there. It was like an LED was being pointed at my phone. I've seen dust on camera and while it can be reflective this was not reflecting light, it was emitting it. It started to drift closer and closer to me, getting bigger and brighter but I could still not see it with my naked eyes. Finally it got within a few inches of my phone, hovered there for about five seconds before then drifting toward the kitchen and disappeared. I know that it wasn't a dust particle, I have seen that enough times to know that they don't emit light like that nor do they drift so smoothly and with such purpose. I honestly feel that this thing walked across the room to me, stood right in front of me and then walked back into the kitchen. I let the cats in and went upstairs to show my girlfriend the video. She was in shock when I showed her and explained what had happened and I had shown a few people the video who all thought it was weird. Unfortunately, I have since lost the video, but I will never forget how big and bright that light was. We weren't in the house for much longer after that, but nothing too exciting happened really. We still heard noises, still saw things out of the corner of our eyes, and I'd wake up with scratches on my back. The house we moved into didn't have anything unusual happen, and it was a relief to live somewhere where I didn't constantly feel eyes on me. Do you think that a new house can be haunted if it's on old land? What do you think was in my house? Why did we see a woman in a dress on the stairs but a shadow in the doorway? I'd love to hear your thoughts. In 2008, I was 19 and deployed to Afghanistan. I was at a small post in the southern area of the country. It was very mountainous and not very populated. We had men who weren't in uniform coming in and out several times a week, never staying for more than two days. We were all pretty positive they were special forces of some sort or maybe CIA contractors. They didn't have much interaction with any of us pretty much ever, they stayed in their own groups. There were a lot of rumors going around that they were doing some kind of psychological warfare things, like ambushing and killing all but one in the dark, butchering corpses and leaving them in front of suspected villages, burning things down, just, you know, crazy things to mess with people. Well, about my third week at this posting, we were told in the morning they wanted us to check in on a village not too far from us. They had been complaining about us killing goats and skinning them which really wasn't that uncommon. We had complained all the time to try to get money and other things from us in repayment. Then we had a report of a patrol in the area see a bunch of women and children carrying a lot of things rushing away from the area. Kinda suspicious activity. The next morning we'd set up before sun was all the way up. The village was a little less than an hour drive from us. The whole area was pretty flat in a valley most of the way there but About two kilometers from the village you have to take a small dirt single track road up the mountain. The entire village was on top of a small mountain but like a big bowl. It was just maybe a dozen small walled off houses and sheds. No more than 40 people lived there. Well as we sped up and approached the village our comms freaked out. All we heard was static. The four of us heard voices. They all said it was like a hundred people all talking at once. You could hear it, but couldn't quite make out what was being said. That lasted for about a minute. The other group radioed us and said that three of the six of them had heard clinking metal and a harsh, loud scream, a wet, gurgling scream. Then mid-scream it just cuts off and went silent. We radioed back and reported what had happened. We were told to continue on. Our radios are encrypted. There was next to no way anyone could have gotten into them. Not even five minutes later it happened again, but this time to more than half of us. We heard people talking while breathing heavily like they were running. So many voices all at once. Like had to rip my headset off and helmet off like many of the others. It was bad. We were out in the open all in a panic. We reported it again, but one guy said he heard what was kind of like Farsi or a Persian language. Another said kinda like Latin and I swear what I heard was in Russian. We were told it might just be interference with switch channels and keep on task. At this point we were maybe 30 meters from the entrance of the village, it's a pretty big open area on this mountain, not much to hide behind besides the buildings. Someone noticed a thin blood trail leading into the village. We took note and continued on. When we stepped into the village, we saw a puddle of dried, brown, blackish blood. Before we could even register what we saw, three military age men stepped out and opened fire at us. We all dove for cover. I ran behind this 1 to 1.5 meter high wall surrounding a small building. As soon as I dropped, a man stepped out of the building and shot at me. I panicked. This was my first time being shot at. I shot at him at least 8 times two of which smacked him in the chest. Someone from the other side of the wall on a building was firing at me, so I ran to hide behind the building the man just came out of. I took cover next to the man, listening to his gurgling heavy last breaths. After all was said and done, we had reinforcements arrive. We put down eight men and wounded two more. Nothing on our side. While everyone was taking the required pictures and whatnot, an army patrol came by with four of the women from the village. They said they found them hiding in a nearby town, begging for help. They had to pretty much carry the women back as they refused to return. We split the women up and began to question them. They admitted the men were gathering and getting things together to attack a patrol. Someone had promised them a great reward. But they were crying, all terrified to be back. Our interpreter asked them what, what had them so shaken. Is it because of the fight? They said the morning before, as the sun was coming up, they saw what looked like a bloody man walking up. Some of the women went to try to give aid when they stopped and screamed. As the man walked closer, he was naked from head to toe, no hair and no skin. Each step he took looked like his knees would buckle and collapse. He had no eyes and no muscle around his jaw. His head just swung around loose like nothing rigid to hold it up as he walked. They said he was slow and jerky. They could hear him breathing. He was wet and heavy like he was drowning. The men hearing the women scream and run grabbed some weapons. Some were muskets, some tools. As he walked closer, they saw his belly was slit and things were just swinging from his gut. The men began to fire at him. The thing didn't notice... Didn't even flinch, and chunks of him were ripped off. We finally stopped when the men were reloading and opened his arms like he was going to hug someone and screamed. Screamed so loud they had to cry. The men closest to him began to bleed from their eyes and ears and finally collapsed. The next thing they knew, he was gone. Just vanished into a light red mist. The men who fell were gone, too. Not a trace. No footprints or anything, just the trail of blood into the village. We all kind of looked at each other like, that's nonsense, no way. We kind of ignored it and continued on with documenting and cleaning up. After several hours we were leaving, I was in front with six other men. We were all talking about the radio thing when one of us just stopped and yelled for us to drop. We all listened and spread out, dropping low. There we were, out in the wide open and empty, nothing to hide behind. But there in the middle of the dirt tracks was a horse with its legs cut off, flush at the joints, with its head twisted upside down. Something was sticking out of its belly and it has something carved into its skin. We thought it was an IED so we went through the standard processes and cleared the area. When we were sure all was well, we finally approached it. It has a one meter long shard of a broken mirror stuck in its side, Arabic letters carved into it. The half of the horse facing away from us was skinned, so cleanly there wasn't a drop of blood or a cut into the meat. We asked our interpreter what the Arabic word said. He said it isn't Arabic, but kind of like Farsi, but not at the same time. He said he thought it said, Look, look, don't look. We were all freaked out. We went back and reported everything. Our CO listened to the entire story and, after a long silence that felt like half an hour, said, It is nothing. Exhaustion and stress from your first engagement. Be careful you tell. People will be begging to question your mental fitness. Later, when some of us went to shower, there was yelling. The guys who were out there with us said they saw that their faces had no skin in the mirror. We calmed them down and moved them out so we could shower. I was the first one done and went to shave when I saw a red skinless person in the corner of the mirror. That was 11 years ago yesterday. I still sometimes see him in the mirror. In my bathroom I don't have a mirror at all. I go to a barber once a week to shave me. The last time I shaved myself, my daughter was in watching me when I saw the man in the corner of my eye right next to her. She saw him in the mirror too and ran off screaming. What makes us all crazy is that in that deployment, three of us from the day were killed in an IED, two were critically injured in another. Our interpreter was killed with his family in his home, four killed themselves within three years of returning home. That's eight dead and two injured just like the villagers. I've only told maybe a dozen people about this. Only one or two believe me. I can't find anything like this anywhere in the world. I know the area had a lot of history, like the Russians had a base where we had ours in the 80s. Some say Alexander the Great marched his army in that valley too. I don't know what to think of it, and I need to know more about it. It's been bugging me for years. I grew up not far from Mantino State Hospital, an abandoned insane asylum in the far south Chicago suburbs. My dad would sometimes drive my family down there and we'd circle around the property by car, just for fun. When I turned 16, he bought me my own little beater car and, of course, I had to show this awesome place to my friends. By the time I was old enough to go exploring, many of the original buildings had been renovated and repurposed as businesses. Half of the property was converted into the local VA hospital and a quarter of it was torn down and replaced with new housing. Only a handful of the original buildings remained, all clustered in the back corner of the campus. One summer day I took friends A, B, and C to go check it out. We brought our cameras and went with the intent to go inside and explore it. We parked in a lot where other people parked to go to work in one of the other buildings to avoid suspicion and walked about a quarter mile to the abandoned hall. As we walked up to this creepy old building I felt sick to my stomach and full of dread. The main doors were chained shut and most of the windows were boarded up. I remember walking on the porchway and choosing my steps carefully because the windows were busted out and there was glass everywhere. The four of us finally came upon a window that was accessible enough to climb into. Realizing that this was actually going to happen, I had a panic attack and couldn't go through with it. I was trembling and didn't want to be the scaredy cat, but I really couldn't do it. In fact, just in recounting this, I'm still scared, and this happened about 16 years ago already. Anyway, I handed my camera to friend A and told him to take the pictures. I was petrified and felt like I would puke at any moment. Friend B and I walked back to the car in silence. I had a cigarette in the car while we waited for friends A and C to come back. My nerves calmed quickly enough. Friend B confessed that she was scared too and was glad I said something so she didn't have to go in. Soon enough our other two friends came running back to the car at full speed. We heard their footsteps pounding on the asphalt and quickly unlocked the doors. I started the car up and we were off in an instant. I assumed that the cops had arrived, so I sped out of the campus and into town, hoping to blend into normal traffic. I asked them what had happened and if the cops were called, and they said no. Both friends who had gone into the building said that they heard voices. Both of them said they saw a hand curl around the frame of a big metal corridor door and heard it slam shut with an impressive echo both of them testify that they heard someone crying saying where am i at some point they got too frightened to continue and just decided to bolt i was spooked friend a who had taken my camera was eerily quiet friend c showed me that he had found a newspaper from 1979 on the floor and he had taken it as a souvenir I, being the more superstitious type, demanded he get rid of it. I didn't want any potentially haunted objects in my car, so he tossed it out the window without too much coercion. It took us about 45 minutes to drive home and since we were kind of shook, we decided to go to Denny's and rehash the experience. During the ride back, friend A fell asleep. This didn't concern me much at the time, but became an important factor to remember later on. We got to Denny's and friends B and C went in ahead. I woke up friend A and asked him what happened. Why did they run? He said, we saw someone sitting at the end of a hallway, cross-legged on the floor. It was a man and he was crying, kind of rocking back and forth. He also explained that he thinks the entity used his energy to manifest and That was why he was feeling so drained and fell asleep on the way back. We had a late dinner and then I drove everyone home afterwards. After I dropped my last friend off and was going back to my house, I distinctly felt someone pressing their knees into the back of the driver's seat. It's a familiar feeling if you take the bus in high school. Lots of people prop their knees up on the seat and the feeling is unmistakable. I yelped and sat straight up so my back wasn't touching my chair and drove home faster. The very next day I pick up my cousin to go see a movie together. She blurted out to me that she thought she saw someone in my back seat. I was immediately horrified as I hadn't confided in her the events from the night before. I asked her which seat and she said of course behind the driver's seat. That night I had a dream about a man. He was Caucasian, mid-thirties, brown hair, partially bald. He had brown eyes. He was wearing a white cotton vest, which I found odd. Instinctively, knew it was the ghost my friends had seen at the hospital. In the dream, he was guiding me through a series of booby traps. He was holding me by the elbow and walking with me. He seemed sweet and harmless. I thought maybe he's a guardian or something. These dreams continued for about a week straight friend who didn't know about our trip to the asylum started to have experiences in my car. One friend heard and felt someone whisper in her ear. Another had their elbow grabbed by someone in the back seat. I felt the knees in my back on many occasion. In fact, I started to anticipate it and often drove without my back touching the seat at all. One time I felt like someone was shaking my seat while I was driving, like hands on either side of the chair and just violently shaking. When the experiences and the dreams didn't stop, I became scared. I didn't feel like he was a guardian anymore. Finally, after about a week and a half of this, I sat down with a friend A again. I asked him, do you remember what he looked like? He said, all I could see was that he was balding and he was wearing a white vest. I don't know how, but I think his name was David. I told my parents about what happened after that. They suggested I tell David that he couldn't follow me anymore. To tell him to go to the light or whatever. At this point I was ready to do anything because I was on edge and spooked all the time. I prayed every time I came into the house that he wouldn't follow me in. I was afraid to go out with my friends. I was afraid to go to sleep sometimes. So two weeks after our initial venture into the asylum I went back with friend A... We went during the daytime and idled in the front of the building. I said out loud, You don't belong here with me. You need to go home. Or something along those lines. I prayed a lot. I didn't want him anymore. I felt bad but I needed him to stay there. We parked and just kind of sat there quietly for a while. I think friend A and I were just saying goodbye, severing ties, I don't know, but it felt sad. While we were parked I did hear doors slamming inside the building. At one point I heard someone laughing too. I envisioned him leaving me in my car. I told him he could never follow me again. He needed to go to move on. We left the hospital that day and didn't go back for many years. And I never dreamt of him again. I've never told anyone the full story for two reasons. One being that it sounds a little bit ridiculous and two, because I am afraid that thinking about him too much will send some sort of psychic beacon out to attract him or other spirits back to me, when that's the total opposite of what I want. When I moved out of home, I moved into an old creepy house. The heating didn't work, The windows wouldn't close properly and the cupboards were full of elaborate handmade shelves. There were doors that led to rooms that led to other rooms that didn't make sense. The house just didn't seem to have a normal layout. But the creepiest room was the laundry. It was a large square room with white tiles with a drain in the middle. Just think of a location inspired by Saw. When you walk into this room it had three steps down to the floor. On the right was a sink and two doors, one for a shower and the other for the toilet. Straight ahead was the door to the garage, and next to it on the left, the cupboard under the stairs. This cupboard was freezing cold, but it was completely cement and brick. No draft and no gaps, just pitch black darkness. I live with three other people, but our schedules were all mixed, so Tuesdays were my nights alone. I started to notice things like glass would break in the kitchen but I'd walk in and nothing was broken. I'd walk outside to get the mail and close the door behind me with my dog inside and come back to her on the front step. Then the nightmares. Night after night I'd have terrifying nightmares of someone knocking on my door and getting up to answer it to no one there. All of which I'd just shake off as an idle mind. Then one night I was home, watching TV, and suddenly I heard a loud rattling. I jumped to my feet and walked to the laundry door where I could hear the rattling on the other side. Possibly someone trying to get through the locked garage door, I thought. I opened the door and the garage door handle was still, but the cupboards one wasn't. The entire door was shaking like someone was inside the cupboard, violently trying to get out. I froze, but just for a minute grabbed my dog and left the house until someone agreed to come over. I had a friend come over and walk inside. I sat on a stool well over a meter away from my wall. My friend sat at the table. Maybe you have ghosts, she said. I just want to add that I was raised religious and told there's no such thing for 18 years of my life. In my head there had to be a logical explanation and my fears were surely irrational. There's no such thing as ghosts. I scoffed. Without another second, pressure on my shoulder pushed me off the stool and slammed me onto the wall in one quick motion. To clarify, I didn't fall off the stool. If I did, I would have hit my head on the wall. My entire body slammed into the wall. I stood and looked at my friend and she looked at me. We said no words and I grabbed my keys and my dog and we got dinner. Nothing was ever spoken about it, how I was thrown across the room. I moved out shortly after, but I will never say ghosts don't exist again. Not even half an hour ago, I just had one of the freakiest paranormal experiences I've had in a while. To give you some backstory, I live in an apartment attached to a funeral home. I'm a mortuary science student and I work for this funeral home to get experience while I'm in school to be a mortician. The funeral home happened to have a vacant apartment set privately in the back that I couldn't possibly turn down. As I moved away from home for the school and I needed an inexpensive place to live. Since the day I moved in I've been having notable paranormal experiences. For a couple of months I kept them to myself, not wanting to seem like I was feeding into some spooky funeral home stigma or making it up. But eventually I was experiencing enough that I had to bring it up to a co-worker of mine and she confirmed that she and a few other employees had seen and heard the same things I have. That being said, it's not news to any of us that the place is haunted, if that's what you want to call it. Today, after I got home from classes and went home, I was feeling extremely uneasy. My apartment felt extra dark and I felt sort of jumpy. I was standing in my bathroom braiding my hair and one of my co-workers texted me. She said she has a weird feeling and asked me to go check the front doors of the funeral home to make sure they are locked. I read her text as I braided my hair and her next message pops up. I'm 99% sure I locked it, but... I just have a nagging feeling about something. I told her I'd go check. I finished braiding my hair and slipped on my shoes and walked to the door in my apartment that opens into the back of the funeral home. The lights are off and I don't bother turning them on as the motion sensors in the hallway always kick on by themselves. I made my way to the front lobby which was dark not counting the light through the front door windows. I walked to the front doors and pushed. Sure enough both unlocked. At that moment I had a really heavy feeling like someone was behind me or watching me. I kept turning around to look but standing by the light at the doors and looking into the dark lobby made it almost impossible to see. I hurried up and locked the doors and made my way back through the lobby. As I was about to enter the hallway I hear a little girl giggling. I stopped dead in my tracks for a moment just at the end of her giggling it sounded like it was coming from behind a door not six feet away from me. I got chills on my entire body and hightailed it back into the hallway and into my doorway. I locked the door behind me and immediately heard a loud bang from a room in the funeral home. I have no idea what it was, but it was loud, and I'm not about to go check. As I was standing there, actually about to pee my pants, I texted my co-worker back saying... The doors were both unlocked, and as I'm typing her my story of what happened, she says, I don't know man, I've been getting weird vibes in there all day. I think maybe it's safe to say the spirits in here are extra active today. It had been a few weeks since I had anything too strange happen, but now I'm extremely on edge. There are two spirits that myself as well as three other co-workers had all seen. One is of a little girl. She looks maybe 8 years old, she's slightly taller than average, and she shows herself so briefly you wonder if you even saw it. I would almost say she looks 10, but when you hear her giggle, she sounds like a young girl of maybe 6 years old. The other is a tall, shadow-like man who wears a long black coat and a black hat. He's an entirely different story though. I'm chilled right now. Some days in here feel weirder than others, and tonight feels like the kind where I probably won't get any sleep. I feel so anxious right now. Usually these things happen in waves, so I feel like I'm just waiting for the next thing to happen. Hey, I'm so thankful for all the feedback I got from this post, and I appreciate all of you taking the time to read. A lot of people have asked that I share more of my experiences here at the funeral home and in my apartment, so I figured I'd add them here and just start from the beginning. Now the day that I moved in, I was trying to clean and dust everything I unpacked. I was listening to music and polishing one of my end tables when something caught my eye. I glanced towards my hallway where the bathroom is located and briefly saw what looked like a little girl peeking at me from behind the doorframe. I did a double take and she was gone. I paused my music and kind of stood there with a stupid look on my face, I'm guessing. I heard a soft rustling noise from the bathroom like the sound of... Maybe the shower curtain. I walked over to the bathroom and peeked in, but of course, there was nothing there. My first few nights there were pretty normal. Some strange noises like bumps on the wall, knocking, brushing noises, but I attributed it all to the fact that I was in a new place and those noises were probably normal in the building. One night, I was taking a shower, minding my own business when I felt an ice-cold air on my back. I didn't have the air on at this time and there are no windows in my bathroom that could cause a draft. I felt immediately uneasy and peeked out behind my shower curtain to see that everything was normal. I went back to showering and tried to pretend nothing happened. As I was facing the water, my towel that was draped up over the curtain rod fell to the floor. I jumped and whipped around and quickly peeked behind the curtain again. Nothing. I was pretty shaken now and I picked up my towel and draped it back over the rod. I tried to hurry up and finish my shower. Just as I was about to turn off the water I hear my bathroom door click. In absolute fear and panic and ready to nakedly fight someone, I ripped open the curtain to see my door slowly opening. I stood there and watched until it slowly reached the doorstop. I said something along the lines of, Oh my god through tears and fumbled for my towel and ran out of my bathroom. I got dressed and left for the rest of the day and didn't come back until about 9 that night. Nothing happened the rest of that evening. After that, things were pretty quiet for a little while. Around two weeks later, it was a little after midnight and I was doing laundry. My washer and dryer are in the actual prep room, where we embalm people, so to do laundry I'd have to go into the back hallway of the funeral home. I had just put in a load of wash and was walking back to my apartment door at the very end of the hallway. I heard a door latch, kind of like the door was closed in the frame, but not latched if that makes sense. It made me jump and I turned around and at the end of the hallway I saw the tall shadow man. Now the owner of the funeral home was a big man who wears a long black coat in the winter and has this black cowboy hat sort of thing he wears. So for a split second I thought maybe it was my boss who had been coming in for something. But it wasn't. It felt like a good two or three seconds that I watched him cross the end of the hallway and he just disappeared into thin air almost as I was focusing on him. I mentioned in my original story that there are motion sensor lights in the hallway and these lights were all on during this encounter. He was tall and big. He had a hat on similar to the one my boss wears and was black from top to bottom, like a really opaque shadow. Needless to say, I once again almost peed myself. I bolted back into my apartment and locked the door. I was so scared and in so much disbelief that I actually became lightheaded and had to sit down. I still didn't mention him or the little girl I saw to anyone I work with. One day, when I came home from class, I noticed my microwave time had changed to military time. I didn't think anything of it, and I messed with the settings, switching it back. The next night, I was working, cleaning one of the lounges, and I noticed that the time on the microwave in there was on military time, too. At that point, I honestly figured maybe there was a power outage that day, and when the microwaves kicked back on, they just went wonky and switched to military time. This was until the next day, which was my day off. I slept in and lounged in bed for like an hour and one of my best friends called me. We have been talking for about 20 minutes and I was like, alright, I should probably get up and do something. I glanced to see what time it is and my alarm clock was on military time. My alarm clock is a cheap battery operated alarm that doesn't even plug into a wall. I've had it for about 4 years and had never seen it switch to military time. I went silent on the phone and stared at the clock trying to find some sort of logical explanation. The microwaves kind of made sense at first but then, with my alarm clock, I couldn't shake the feeling that it meant something. Not long after that is when things got considerably spookier. Probably about three days later I was coming back home one afternoon from classes. I came right in and threw my keys and my purse on the kitchen table and then turned my back to the table to plug the sink and start running water to do my dishes. My dishes had been piling up, swore to myself I'd do them first thing when I got home. I was letting the sink fill and turned to get my keys and purse from the kitchen table and put them on the end table by my door, which is where I always place them so I don't forget them when I'm running out the door on a a 3am death call. My purse was there, but my keys were not. I had just come in and threw them on the table. It took a few seconds to get the sink ready so they didn't get up and walk away in the short amount of time. Bewildered, I started looking under the table, on the floor, patting my pockets trying to find my keys. I had just put them there. Frustrated, I got to plop down on my couch and ponder if I'm going crazy. I have a heavy quilt on my couch. I like my place chilly, and when I went to lift it and sit down, there were my keys. I didn't go anywhere near my couch when I came in. I'm 100% positive I put my keys on the table next to my purse when I came in, and there was no reason they'd be under the quilt. But that wasn't the weirdest part. On my key ring, I have my parents' house key and my car key on the main key rings, and a second key ring is attached to that one with the apartment door keys on it. The key ring with the apartment keys on it was stretched and bent as if though someone had tried to rip the keys straight off the other one. The key rings aren't flimsy, bendy ones either. I could hardly open them enough to lock the key rings together when I put them on. It would have taken serious force to completely pull open the key ring like that, I actually do have a picture of my keys somewhere on my laptop that I will locate and attach later so you guys can see what I mean. My stomach dropped through my bottom when I saw my keys. They were all messed up under the blanket. I almost didn't even believe if I was seeing it all correctly and I felt a little crazy. At this point I was feeling like I should at least vent to someone about what was going on. A night or two after that I was working a visitation with an older woman who had worked for my boss for a long time. She's my favorite co-worker as she's easy to talk to and reminds me of my grandma or something. Anyways, she asked me how it was getting settled into the apartment and if I was enjoying it. I told her how much I loved my apartment, but that there were some weird things that don't make sense. She asked what I meant and I honestly didn't even want to say it because... I didn't want her to think I was crazy or messing with her. After my hesitation I just asked if she thought the funeral home was haunted. She explained to me that she had had some strange experiences here as well as a couple of others I work with. They've all heard loud screaming and moaning from time to time in the prep room. They've heard giggling, unexplained doors opening and slamming. What upset me the most was that she had told me about a tall black man with a hat he had seen in the back hallway a couple of times. At that point, I word vomited and told her everything that had happened since I moved in. That was the night that I felt like it was confirmed to me that there was something or things here. I sort of wanted to vomit, I was so scared, but at least I knew that I wasn't crazy. For a few weeks after that, nothing huge happened. I would always hear strange noises at night. It's not uncommon to hear a door open and close by itself somewhere in the funeral home. I have also heard people talking, hear cots sliding around on the floor, and the same moans and screams my co-workers have all heard. This has become almost normal to me, so although it's freaky, it wasn't bothering me directly and I could live with that, at least for a little while. Once again, things picked back up one day when I was in my bedroom putting clothes away. I was sitting on my floor folding a mountain of laundry when I heard a loud, clear as day sound of a man, clear as throat in my living room. The kind of, <clears throat> that you do to get someone's attention. It was so clear and real I didn't even think ghost. I was confused for a moment thinking maybe my boss had come in to speak to me, but surely he'd knock. Nobody ever would just walk in here. I hopped up and stepped into my living room. Nobody there. I peered around the corner to see if anyone was in my bathroom. No one. The realization that I was alone set in and my stomach sort of dropped. But honestly, I was so used to so much activity that after a few minutes of pacing around in disbelief, I shook it off and went back to folding laundry. In the most recent weeks... The most I've experienced are the normal sounds and voices and bumps in the night I always hear. One night a couple of random lights and my TV all shut off at once unexpectedly and I had to go into the funeral home utility room to flip the switches in the breaker box. I noticed that when I have someone over and start telling them about the spirits, the lights or TV will shut off. A friend of mine has experienced this with me on three different occasions. That pretty much catches me up to the original story I posted here. It's been an absolute ride being here. Some nights it's nothing and some nights I sleep with the blankets over my head. I really appreciate you guys taking the time to read this. It actually feels sort of therapeutic to share with you all and I never guessed so many people would be interested in my story. Thanks everyone for being so cool and giving so much kind feedback. This happened when I was growing up. I lived on a piece of property next to a state park, in a house my step-grandfather had built. Prior to that, the land was undeveloped. I used to see things sometimes, but my mother would usually tell me it was my imagination and that I just needed to stop being such a wuss. Sometimes I wondered if I was really crazy. It didn't help the household was dysfunctional and stressful and mom gaslighted me a lot mostly to tell me I wasn't actually being abused. Just trying to give a bit of background info. Anyway, one bright morning I saw someone poking around in our mailbox. It was an elderly lady in a pink housecoat. I couldn't figure out why she was there, so I called out to her. She turned to look at me, glared, and disappeared. And by disappeared, I mean she just stopped being there. I was very weirded out. But I knew better than to say anything and after going down and looking at the mailbox, which was no longer open, I decided to try to forget about the whole thing. However, a couple of days later I saw her again and the moment I made a noise she turned, glared and vanished. She seemed really annoyed at me but I didn't really feel a sense of menace. She was more like the neighbor, a few houses down who disliked me because I was a child and therefore clearly about to break something or be loud or whatever unpleasant but not dangerous it kept happening often not every day but quite frequently through the end of winter through spring and into early summer if I didn't make any noise but just watched her she would fade away after a couple of minutes not a Hollywood ghost's She was never translucent, but she would become less defined, start to look sort of smudgy, like a poorly printed picture, and then just not be there anymore. By late spring, I was feeling certain that she wasn't all in my head. So one day when I saw her, I slipped back into the house, got my mother, and asked her to come outside and look at the mailbox, but not to make any noise. I think she assumed I wanted her to see some interesting wildlife... I was in luck. The lady was still there, and my mother looked at the mailbox, looked startled and called out, ''Excuse me?'' As usual, housecoat lady turned, glared, and disappeared. Mom looked surprised and alarmed. I said, ''I told you not to make any noise. She gets mad and disappears if you do.'' Mom looked at me, looked at the mailbox, looked at me. She looked scared and confused. But you saw her, right? I said. And she was wearing a pink house coat. I I I don't have time for this. And my mom turned around and walked back into the house and ignored me completely when I tried to bring it up later. I didn't want to make her mad. Bad things happen when she got mad, so I dropped the subject. But I was super pleased because if someone else saw it too and I wasn't hallucinating or tricking myself. The rest of the story is pretty anticlimactic. I kept seeing the old lady off and on, late morning to mid-afternoon regardless of weather. I saw her a couple of times that fall, but after that, never again. My aunt still lives in that house. No one who looked like pink housecoat lady has ever lived there, and nobody had died on the premises. My aunt has since taken down the mailbox... I think she has a P.O. box now because she travels a lot. The only reason I'm sharing this now is because two days ago, my mom called me to tell me her gift had arrived and, on a wild impulse, I brought it up. Mom and I, well, we aren't close, but we're on speaking terms and normally I will not discuss anything relating to my childhood with her. Too much baggage. But I casually said, Hey, do you remember that old lady by the mailbox? The one in the pink house housecoat who wasn't actually there. And when I showed her to you, you, you wouldn't discuss it. Mom didn't miss a beat, she replied. Well, to be fair, the whole thing was pretty disconcerting. I was shocked. Usually mom denies anything that even remotely paints her in a bad light, for starters. But I was also exhilarated because it was proof at least as much proof as anyone can get under circumstances like these. So when I was in junior high a girl was assaulted and killed behind the alley on 75th and Glendale. Her name was Amy and our family and parents did everything in their power to not let us kids know what happened. Well I had been seeing ghosts and having premonitions since I was a child, so when we moved in I saw Amy in my bedroom the first day and I said hello. I had no idea she was dead and thought I was just talking to one of the neighbors who decided to visit. My bedroom was facing the back alleyway and there was a large wall surrounding the small complex, a duplex in a wide U shape that was blocked in. It wasn't until my sister came in and asked who I was talking to that I introduced Amy and my sister told me to stop being stupid. It was then I realized I was talking to a ghost. No one would believe me and once my mother even caught her while I was at band camp sitting in my room, she screamed and refused to go in there again. Well, during a party my sister had told my cousins and family about Amy. A good deal of the adults were aware I was different. Some aunts and uncles told me I was born the oho, the eye, and I could see and know things. My sister and cousins came into my room while I was watching TV and began teasing me, in which prompted my cousin to say, "Prove it." There was no way out of my room other than the door and window, so I said find and turned off the TV and focused everyone to my closet door. Both doors slid from side to side, revealing the closet, and to the left was the bedroom door. I simply said, Amy, my cousin wants to meet you. At first nothing happened, then fingers slipped out from the crack, and the door began to open slowly. As it did, Amy's hair and pale paler came into view. It's important to know that the closet faces the window and I had it open with full view of my family outside, everyone enjoying the party. The girls began screaming and screaming, prompting adults to notice and cause my mother to burst in who was in the bathroom near the bedroom. She came in yelling and saw the closet door slam close. She pulled it open, yelling for us to stop playing and was shocked to find it empty. My cousins and sisters all ran out. My mother turned to me and told me to stop with my Bruja stuff and told me to tell Amy to stop scaring people. She turned and closed the door, leaving me in the dark, to which I turned the TV back and started watching my show again. That same night, I was outside with everyone and my uncle was by my bedroom window, talking to who he thought was me. He was pretty drunk and it wasn't until I came over and asked who he was talking to that he stopped, ...and realized I wasn't in my bedroom. He told me he thought it was me and said, "...must have been the ghost." My family has always believed in the supernatural and the other side, and since I tend to know things, trust me when asking me certain things. After I moved out, I said a prayer for Amy and hoped she would move on. She was my only friend, and I was hers... We would sit together and I would hand her a book to read and she would watch TV with me. I still have feelings and sense things. It's gotten dimmer but since I started meditating and practicing my craft, my psychic abilities have grown. Newfoundland is an alien hot spot if the stories I hear are any indication. Almost everyone I know has some sort of story about when they lost huge chunks of time and were missing, usually for about a day, but it can go as high as a week. I've never heard any violent encounters, but a lot of... I was frozen and couldn't move for a bit due to a light from the sky once. It's a pretty good assumption that if aliens do exist, they stalk my family. My dad has stories about being frozen on beaches, being watched in his sleep, and a weird story about the stars changing configurations. My mom has stories about meeting aliens and she has a few accounts of what they look like. I might tell these stories one day but I really feel like this is a good introduction to the types of encounters my family has had. It all started when I was about 13. There's nothing overly remarkable about me other than being in a military family and I was more precocious than most. At the time I was living in my dad's hometown, maybe a solid kilometer up a hill. My house was a raised bungalow, meaning that all the first floor windows were about 10 feet off the ground. My window faced the front yard and was probably the only one that didn't have some kind of bush in front of it. Basically I had a good solid view of my outside. One night I remember being woken up fairly abruptly around 1 in the morning. Not unusual for a 13 year old so I thought go get a drink, probably pee and go back to bed. Except when I tried to move I couldn't. Some people describe the feeling of an overbearing weight that prevents them from moving. This wasn't that. It was like my whole body was asleep. Complete with a tingling feeling and an utter lack of ability to move. I wasn't sleeping in a weird position aside from maybe an extra blanket on the bed I couldn't figure out a reason why this was happening. The only thing I could move was my head as my neck fell to sleep but not enough to completely prevent movement like the rest of my body. So I flopped my head to one side and that's when I saw it. In my window, roughly in the middle, was a disc shaped object. It hovered maybe a foot away from the glass and didn't move. This is remarkable for anyone that's been to Newfoundland, where forty kilometers per hour winds are the norm basically every day. The disk was maybe three feet in diameter and the better part of a foot tall. It let out this low grade, almost LED like hue. Reminds me of those horrible blue Christmas lights. The thing had three thick prominent ridges on what I assumed to be the front of it which was facing me. From the middle one came a red light and the thing didn't have a lens. It kind of just emanated from this thing. It split into a wide vertical pattern and was scanning my body. When I moved my head the disc was beaming around my belly button area. As soon as my head flopped with maybe a second or so delay it moved the scanning laser to my eyes. For maybe 5 seconds I stared rather uncomfortably into this horrible red light and it burned. I wanted to close my eyes desperately as it felt not dissimilar to staring into the sun but they wouldn't move. I tried to yell as I recall but I couldn't say anything and much like staring into the sun you see little else. After the 5 or so seconds the light turned off and I could just make out that the disc object flew off down the road towards the ocean. I was awake for maybe 10 or more seconds before I fell asleep. For full context, this all happened in about 20 seconds, give or take. I need to point out this happened in 2003 in rural Newfoundland. At that time, there were no such things as drones. Drones were the terrifying flying machines the US was sending to bomb Middle Eastern countries. I had only even recently seen them on TV as those big white plane looking things. I had no real explanation for this other than possibly extraterrestrials. I had tried to talk to my family and classmates about it but they mostly called me a loony and laughed. Eventually that night passed for me trying to tell people about it. No one will believe me so why bother. A month, maybe two passes and my life carries on as normal. The only real difference is I become terrible at math. I was a top student in my class always pulling the best grades for most of my school life until that point given the math isn't all that hard but I really started to suck. My grades went from 90s to 60s often 50s and sometimes even failing in math I was able to do not even four months ago. No one was concerned for some reason but that was a frequent theme in my teen years so I was now just the kid that had fallen from grace. Still had amazing grades and everything else just never again in math. So one night I remember being woken up. Again my body felt like it was asleep and again I had some control over my neck. But I remember this like I remember a dream. But way too many details for it to be normal. But I'll get to that. The first thing that hits me is the blinding white light. It was coming from outside my window, brighter than stadium lights, and coming from who knows where, but I knew it was close to my house. All I heard was a low growling hum coming from outside. In my room were two of those discs I had seen before shining a wide red light all over the room which dampened the sheer brightness of the light outside enough that I could see. Then I see one of them. It walks into my room and I remember being scared-ish but largely indifferent. It was easily over 12 feet tall and was uncomfortably skinny. Its arms and legs were way too long for the tiny torso it had, about the size of maybe a child. They were multi-jointed in at least seven places that allowed it to fold up its arms and legs enough that it could fit into the room. I have no doubt that if it were to fully extend all of its joints, the thing could have easily topped twenty feet. It had hands which had too many joints in the fingers, way too many fingers and no thumbs... They were in half circle around its pretty round palm and generally unsettling now that I think about it. It had a head, a huge head, but it lacked any real eyes except for maybe tiny pinpoints where a massive socket would otherwise be. It had no nose, no hair, no real chin and two holes where our cheeks would be. I'm guessing that might be a mouth, but who knows. The head was thin because of course it was thin and resembled somewhat an oblong pancake. The whole thing had white skin with a grey undertone, or what I assumed to be such given the lighting in the room. The creature held out its hand and instinctively I held it. It walked me out of my room, stark naked, and was leading me to my living room. When I get into my hall, I see all the doors in my house are open and there are a dozen of these things sort of mulling about. I remember one looking in our linen closet, one walking into our basement and another unscrewing a light bulb. All over the house were the discs that gave everything that faint red tint and the huge stadium lights from outside making it look like broad daylight, but with a slight red tint to it as well. And the dining room was my mother, also stark naked, kind of just standing there as two of the creatures were in the kitchen doing something. Lying on the couch in my living room was my dad, again naked, with three of the creatures looming over him with a bunch of weird tools in their hands, and I can assume doing some kind of procedure. I remember asking, where's my sister? To which I got the reply outside from the creature holding my hand. I am still unsure if I heard this from inside my head or if the creature said something out of its uncomfortable holes, but I accepted this as good enough of an answer. As I walked by my dad I could see the creatures were fiddling with my dad's junk, poking and prodding it. I remember being concerned as I knew my dad had just had his vasectomy but I again just got the feeling that it would be fine. The creature I was with placed me in the corner of the room facing the wall and I sat down cross-legged without much issue. The creature then left and I was there for about a minute or so. All I can remember from that time is a few details. Above me was one of the discs shining in broad red light, and I had the faint blue as well giving my vision an odd hue. The only other distinguishing feature I remember is the silence, the piercing and utter silence only broken by my soft, low, growling hum coming from outside. I remember then waking up, back in my bed, no worse for wear. All I think is, dang, that was a realistic dream and went about my day. The only difference is I had and still have a small lump on the back of my neck the size of a split pea. It comes and goes, sometimes I feel it and sometimes I don't and a few times I have squeezed it and some dry powdery substance came out. I just assumed it was weird pus but... If it ever happens again I might try to get it looked at. A few years go by and me and my dad were chatting and we got on the topic of aliens, one of his personal favorites. I tell my dad about the multi-jointed creature thing and before I can get to the point where I reach the living room he says I had a dream like that. A bunch of skinny white men with hoods were cutting my junk, red hue over everything. I remember seeing them sit you in the corner and just sort of stayed there for a bit. <laughs> Crazy dreams, eh? I asked if it seemed real to him and he said, well, Yeah, I had those kind of dreams since I was a kid. The white guys in hoods never do anything interesting. This was the only time. Our brains are weird, aren't they? I've brought it up a few times since then, but... I don't get a whole lot more than what is above. My sister has somewhat of a similar story but she remembers only about three seconds of it and I have maybe two minutes. The best guess I have is aliens and this is far from the only time I encountered these creatures but I'll save that story for another day. So I grew up next to a, let's just say, a very creepy 300 to 400 acre forested area in the middle of Tennessee, United States, for some location context. Apparently used to belong to a family of freed slaves way, way back when, which is now still owned and undeveloped except for some really old dilapidated and decomposing structures sporadically scattered across it from when it was occupied by the original family. My brother and I used to go hiking into the woods and found these places, but we stopped because, well, that part comes later. For some clarity, I mean an old farmhouse, smokehouse, and on the border of the property line in the wooded area behind my old house was a rickety old house. Think Little House in the Prairie or Old Amish style, and you got the picture if you age it about a 150 plus years. So my old house, which was on kind of an elevation with the backyard slopping to the wooded property line bordering said creepy 300-acre wood, the neighborhood I was in was basically bordering the forests along this property. With the backyards bordering the forest line that was demarcated by a solid line of underbrush and very mature trees. Now my first memory of this property, and this still creeps me out. So mind you, there are no roads, no inhabited houses, nothing built or done to this area because of a land division dispute and some will and deed problems with the family who owns the land and apparently has been that way for a 150 plus years. Just forest. My sister and I were out playing in our backyard near the property line, where the creepy falling down little prairie looking house was when she spotted an old woman in the old dilapidated house behind the edge of the property. The front of the house was broken down, and you could see clearly into it, and it had two stories, kind of like a cutaway from a dollhouse where you can take off the front and see all the rooms. So this 70 to 80-year-old woman was just sitting on the green lawn chair watching us from the second-story loft. We were young, maybe 7 to 8 years old, so... We didn't really notice some of the more peculiar aspects of the scene. We'd been playing for a few hours and would have seen someone walk by carrying a green lawn chair because we had a clear view of the old house and you couldn't really get to it unless either you came from our yard or hiked through a ton of woods. An elderly woman dragged a lawn chair up a rotted out ladder to the second story out of a rotted out loft and was just chilling watching me and my sister. So, of course, my sister goes and says hi. Finds out she speaks and said she used to live in that house a long time ago. She looked fairly normal for an old person, but the face was indistinct to me, like I couldn't really get a solid look at it for some reason. I got uncomfortable and said bye to the creepy old lady and left when I basically grabbed my sister and we went back to the house. Now this bothers me because no one has ever lived or been doing anything in this area of forest for over a 150 years. No one could have or should have been living there. No records of it or anything. Also I know for a fact that there are no roads or trails or anything going to that old house. Even now, thanks to Google Earth. So how did this old woman just appear and disappear because we were walking back to the house... I glanced back at the property line about 80 yards back to the old house and the green chair was there but no lady. Didn't pass us by. Didn't hear her climb down. Nothing. Clear line of sight. Early afternoon. No overcast and well lit. Just gone. Did some research from when I had to sell stuff door to door for school. Couldn't find a similar person on my street or the next or even in the neighborhood. So yeah... This day, I had no clue what happened there. Now, my second memory, or the red eyes, as I like to call this story, this happened maybe a few times to me in middle school, but sometimes when I was walking home from the bus stop at the end of the street. The tree line and underbrush along the backyards of the houses that bordered the creepy forest started to have glowing red dots and sporadic clusters and resembled to me. Eyes like tiny orbs of red dull light that appeared along the underbrush and followed me home. I thought it was maybe berries, but no. I hiked through that area with my brothers. No berries or red anything ever. Not holy or seasonal fruiting bushes or animals, because we had some squirrels, foxes, and deer. But that's about it. I couldn't explain it then, and I still can't explain it now. I just remember running home whenever I saw the lights in the underbrush along the tree line appear and hide in my house as fast as I could. The one time I was brave enough to go up to the bushes, the light disappeared before I even got close. No sound, no wind, nothing but kind of a cold chill. Which at the time was weird because it was a Tennessee late spring or early autumn when this happened to me and it stays pretty dang warm usually. I could never find any evidence as to what it was. No red berries or critters or some wackadoo waving around red Christmas lights. This memory still gets me. Memory number three. Why do I feel like I'm being watched? So my old house was well old, 30 years or so. Never really got the cold spots or other classic signs someone is making stuff up about having a paranormal encounter. But every now and then, when I was alone in my old house, maybe the basement usually or occasionally outside in the woods, I got the sensation something or someone else was there. And every time before I felt that sensation, I started to get afraid a little at first. Then full on mad dash away in full adrenaline mode whenever I realized what I was feeling. This happened more than I liked. I hated it and thought I was losing my mind. Mind you, I didn't do any drugs, prescribed or otherwise, or even start drinking till college. I couldn't explain it, and it didn't fit panic attack symptoms or anything similar. been checked out and looked at my medical records and couldn't find anything to explain it from my biological perspective. Well, I got a few more jarring memories, but these are the ones I'll share for now because it's getting pretty long. If I get any interest, I may post the rest, and you might just find out what else eventually happened. I lived in a house from when I was 3 to 10 where things happened that I just can't explain. Although I was a child, so my memory could be foggy or filled with fantasy. Some background info. My mom was working weekend shifts in Norway since they have better payment and less taxes, so she would go like five to seven days at a time, or Danish. So that night it was just me, my sister, and my dad. My sister would sleepwalk very much as a child, so it was not an uncommon occurrence to find her in all kinds of crazy places. One time she slept under the couch. Many times she would just be standing in corners and weird places. Nothing paranormal about it, just... A sleeping child with marathon legs, as my mother used to say. I was a little coward when I was a child and I was very afraid of the dark, but I wouldn't wake up and cry if I had nightmares. I would most likely scream, but my sister would cry very silently whenever she awoke on one of her sleepwalkings. Now my father is a manly man and my friends used to be scared of him and they called him the warlord. Now he is a conservative in the sense that he doesn't believe in anything he cannot see with his own two eyes. My mom is very much a believer and even believes she can speak to spirits and stuff and believes there is more between the heaven and earth, but I am very much a skeptic even though I've had experiences. Again, I was a child, so my point of reference and testimony is not the best since I'm 100% sure I saw a little house gnome one time before sleeping. Normally it was always me, my sister, and our mom that spoke of weird things that had happened, but a few years after we moved, my dad told us his story. So we woke up one night and could hear someone crying. Naturally, when hearing this, he went looking for her as he thought my sister probably sleepwalked somewhere and got scared when she awoke. This happened in periods almost every night. And as he went down from the first floor, he realized it came from the basement, The only way down to this basement was down a really steep staircase, and keep in mind this was the middle of the night. Believing my sister somehow managed to get down there, he of course went looking for her. Again, they have found her in weird places, so this wouldn't be unbelievable. He says that the crying stopped the moment he came down there, and he felt like he was being watched. And there was this black figure over near the wall, close to one of the doors for the rooms. He said as he tried to get closer he felt uneasy. And then the door close to where he saw the black figure slammed open and he says he heard a scream unlike any he had ever heard before. I actually remember being awoken that night and him taking us to a hostel but never saying why. I was a child but remember this very clearly. When he tells this story he will always end it with, And that was the only time I ever ran from something. In pure terror. Turns out that my sister was sleeping in my room, but in his sleepy days, my dad forgot. Her sleeping in my room actually became my parents' secret weapon against the sleepwalks since I would wake up every time she started the sleepwalk because I was a very light sleeper and I would call for my parents. I have no idea about what happened in that basement, but I have never seen him as scared as that night and... Even though this is almost 18-20 to 20 years ago, he would still look upset when telling it, like it shook him to the core. After she had surgery for some kidney stones, she became more sensitive about things. Exactly after the surgery while she was still in the hospital, we both met in our dreams. She's seen me in her dream, and I've seen her in my similar dreams in the same night. There's a lot to say about that, too, so I'll keep it short here. About half a year later, she kept mentioning about little ugly people coming out of this particular flower-pot in her apartment. According to her, they would come out during night-time or very early in the morning, just rising from the flower-pot, walking a bit around the room, and then going back to the flower-pot and decreasing in size until the flower pot would swallow them. Bear in mind, this happened around 10 years ago. She told the entire family and even though me and my mum are believers of the paranormal, we thought it might be the age that's speaking in this case. Maybe she was hallucinating, maybe it was sleep paralysis, but no, she kept insisting and insisting that she sees them every night. Then she kept giving us details we kept suggesting that she might be dreaming. She would respond that she would get up and turn on the lights every time. They seemed to wake her up almost every night. And some nights she would go to my grandpa in his bedroom. They were sleeping separately because they enjoyed the solitude and comfort. And she would wake him up and say, They're back. By the time grandpa would come into her room, nothing was there. One night she called me and my mum to say that they've woken her up again. These are the details that she gave. They were small, but quite ugly. She even named them the Little Ugly People. Maximum one meter in height. They were weirdly dressed. Later on, after she described them better, I came to the conclusion that the fashion style would be around the 1800s. They also had hats. They were both male and female, and it was only one of them coming out per night. Never more of them, even though I do refer to them as plural it seemed that they were struggling a bit to come out of the flower pot. She tried to communicate with them every time, but with no success. They never hurt her, they weren't doing anything to the objects in the room. They walked around the room, sometimes going to a different flower pot and disappearing there. There were times when she lost it and started screaming at them and telling them to leave and to leave her alone. One time she said she woke up, looked around and there was this tiny creature staring at her. Most of the time they were all staring at her, some of them had beards. We have searched long and far for any kind of reasonable explanation at the time, then we started believing her and we searched for a paranormal one. I posted on the paranormal forum many many years ago and the answer that I received was that there were gnomes visiting and that my grandma should interact with them as they might get aggressive and dangerous. They suggested to put rocks in a circle around the flower pot, and we did. I don't recall any other suggestion, but I will ask my mum, and I will it at the post if necessary. This went on and on for more than a year. After about six months of quiet, after we put the stones, it must have worked, I suppose, she started to forget things. Soon after, she was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, which she battled bravely for another two to three years. She is no longer with us and I miss her, and sometimes I do dream about her. I grew up in a small town in the Midwest where you left your doors unlocked and came home when the street lights turn on at dusk. After moving away for college, I decided to move back to my quiet, sleepy hometown in one of the two apartment buildings. I'm living there for roughly three months when one night I go to sleep early on a Friday night. Now, I'm a reasonably hard sleeper, so when I wake in the middle of the night to noises, I'm immediately alarmed. I'm going to describe my apartment layout for a better understanding. As you walk in the front door, the kitchen is to the left and living room to the right. There's a hallway straight ahead with one bedroom at the end. A bathroom is to the left in the hall and my bedroom to the right. I get up from my bed, walk around the end of my bed and peek my head out of the bedroom door. I look to the left to see my front door open to the outside hallway. There's a loud voice coming from my enlightened kitchen. From my vantage point I'm unable to see into my kitchen. I froze. This fact I've left out of the telling of this story since. It's not something I'm very proud of but I want to relay this story in its entirety. It may have been a couple of heartbeats but to me it felt like an eternity. I come to my senses after realizing that I've stopped unconsciously breathing. I take a shallow breath to steady my mind and gather my bravery. There's no thought process about what to do at this point. I let my body and my instincts take over. I turn around and head back to the far side of the bed. I grab my phone from the nightstand and quietly remove it from the charger. Luckily, my bed frame is high enough for me to squeeze under without much difficulty. I immediately realize there is no escape from my hiding spot if things turn south. I'll have to rely on luck to get me through this. I dial 911 and a woman answers and asks about my emergency. I briefly explain in a whisper that an unknown man is in my apartment and that I'm currently safe. I lay there, listening to the chaos in my home reassured by the presence of my cat, Marcy, laying under the bed with me. It seems to me that he's on a phone call based on the one-sided rambling. I tell the operator this fact and explain my fear that he's going to bring other people into my home. He was making enough sound to allow me to give a play-by-play on the call. He starts screaming about killing someone. I'm unsure at this point whether he's talking to the person on the phone or if he knows I'm there. The voice is unfamiliar, but this does little to ease my terror. He then starts ringing the doorbell in the outside hallway and yelling for me to come out. My blood runs cold as I realize that he might come to try and find me. Marcy is alarmed by the doorbell that hasn't ceased ringing and she creeps out from under the bed. I panic. What if he hurts her? I start whispering as loudly as possible to get her attention without letting him know my location. She senses my unease and crawls back under the bed with me. At this point it's felt like an eternity and I ask the operator how long until the police arrive. She is unsure but assures me that they are on their way. My town is roughly a 30 minute drive to the nearest city police but I assume there's a highway patrol that would be coming soon. Little did I know that they were in a rush to get to me. I heard him walking around my apartment and enter my extra bedroom, which is my storage room with a bed. He hasn't stopped yelling. I'm still unaware whether he is on the phone or not. I hear him mention that it must be a kid's room. I shush the operator because he ceased his screaming for a moment. I hear more noises like he's going through boxes and throwing things. Then my fear is realized, as I hear him quietly enter my room. I see his feet walk to my closet from my vantage point. He starts going through my clothes and emptying my hamper onto the floor. He turns around and walks to my bed and sits down. I stop breathing. I think he lays down at this point since the pressure of the bed lessens on top of me. He's deadly silent and I'm still holding my breath. There's shuffling and moving around and he gets up and walks out of my room. I take a shallow breath and steady my conviction. He starts making noise again like he's throwing and punching things. I informed the operator that he was just in my room and the police need to hurry. I don't know how long I can keep Marcy under the bed and concerned about what could happen if he finds me. He walks back into the kids room quietly. I shush the operator again because she is constantly asking me for a play-by-play. I hear him breathing from the other room. After the quietest few minutes of my life he yells Who's there?" I freeze again, listening for movement. Nothing. I'm starting to get lightheaded for my shallow breathing. The silence is deafening and I fear he's trying to detect me. After a lifetime I hear footsteps entering my apartment. I hear a man's voice say, ''Hey bud, you're in the wrong house.'' I have never felt more relieved in my life before this night or since. I hear my door close and I crawl out from under the bed and break down. The adrenaline and anxiety take over as soon as the feeling of safety washes over me. A female officer comes around to my side of the bed and puts her hands on my shoulders. I'm trying to keep it together and failing miserably. She let me put clothes on and I could hear three male voices coming from my apartment. The woman left and came back with a handful of clothes asking if any weren't mine they all were and I answered in kind. She shut the door behind her as she left again. I turned and looked out my window and see no lights from the cop car on the street. I look at my phone and realize the call to 911 took 19 minutes. I can't explain the feeling I had at this time since many hit me all at once. The door opened and the officer motioned to have me exit. Taking the first look at my home was almost as anxious as the event itself. My apartment was a complete mess. Clothes were everywhere mixed with garbage and other belongings from my shelves and counters. This man had removed items that he had intended on taking and placed them in the outside hallway. They told me that they had found him on the floor in the second room completely naked, holding a bottle of lotion. In his vicinity, there was a winter hat with an unknown substance inside. The officer was kind enough to throw that in a garbage bag immediately. They tell me to look and see if any of the clothes in the apartment do not belong to me. I tell them no. This man entered my home completely naked, destroyed my home. I noticed that the lid of my garbage can was filled with cat poop. It seems that it had been separated from the rest of the bag. The rest of the garbage was littering the outside hallway. They asked me if I would like to stay here or go elsewhere. Thankfully my parents lived down the street and I had an officer drive me there. I explained to my parents what had just happened, and in the next few days, I have to explain this situation to what felt like half the town. The ridiculousness of this story catches people's attention and becomes a slight joke. I play along, attempting to be light-hearted, but I'm unable to disassociate from the horror I faced. Now, I should feel better knowing that he is in custody, but... The events after the break-in do little to comfort me. An officer shows up with a subpoena to appear in court to testify, but I receive a call for a postponement. I just wanted this to be behind me. After a month, I call the phone number on the paper I received and ask when they are rescheduling for us since I hadn't heard anything. The woman informs me that they mailed another and I had not shown up. I asked, where was it sent since I have not received any summons? She tells me they sent it to my address but the wrong town. How can they not know where I live? The crime happened there. She tells me that he pled guilty and was given a hundred and eighty days. I was furious. This man would get out in a short eight weeks for attempting to steal and entering my home. She reassured me that he also received another hundred and eighty for a previous bench warrant he had. What justice is there that someone with priors gets a short three months for traumatizing a stranger? After his release, I kept track of his location using the offender registry. He had had relations with a child years prior. Makes his statements about the kids' room even more unsettling. He was arrested, yet again, for a fourth DUI shortly after his release and sentenced to five years with two suspended. I was happy for a while. My nightmares hadn't ended, but the tension I felt during my waking hours lessened. It has been two years since this happened, and I have since moved three times. I don't know if I'll ever be content and happy anywhere, but I'm hoping that this is not the case. He was released six months after his conviction for some reason or another on parole. He immediately disappeared and fled from his parole officer and offender registry. I'm currently planning a cross-country move to try to rest my mind, I'm hoping to someday grow out of the nightmares, and to the naked man, I hope to never meet you again. I was 22 when I got pregnant with my now 10 month old son, I am very close to my husband 26 at the time, but I am not in contact with my narcissistic, abusive parents. As a result, I was feeling scared. There are some things you simply need a mom for and a first pregnancy is one of them. So I grew closer to M, a 25-year-old friend of mine who was out of work for reasons she didn't say. Before then, she was a nanny and thought herself to be quite the expert. I stayed at home due to a difficult pregnancy and would text her during the day. The first red flag looking back on it was probably when she said, I knew it, when I told her I was pregnant. I guess this couldn't be something people say, but then she said, I had a vision. I simply felt it in the air that someone was pregnant. Okay, I thought, a little odd, but maybe M was just a bit eccentric. I should also say that my husband did not like me talking to M, He's usually a laid-back, carefree person, but he was adamant about this. M apparently dated my husband's best friend, Edward, and came out about horrid instances of abuse after dumping him quite abruptly. Maybe this did happen, I told my husband, who was annoyed I wouldn't take him at face value. As an abuse victim myself, I like to believe other victims. Looking back, I wish I had listened to him. I told Am I wasn't speaking to my family and that I felt alone. Again, I was pregnant, sick, and vulnerable. Okay, she said, thanks for telling me. You know, family isn't always blood. I can be family for you. I can be there for you. I can throw you a baby shower and help you out. Hey, I even have experience as a doula, so I can help you along the way. Even though it was not that long ago, I was really naive. I also was really, really lonely without a mom, so I agreed. Soon, M began showering me with gifts. Crackers I could eat, ginger candies for the nausea, religious baby CDs, stretch mark cream. Some of this seemed a bit too personal for me at the time, but I figured, hey, it's the thought that counts. First trimester was bad, and my OB wasn't taking me seriously. When I told them I was extremely nauseous and couldn't get out of bed, they told me they couldn't prescribe me anything. They told me I would have to go to my primary care doctor for medicine, and I guess I was so exhausted I didn't feel like jumping through many hoops. I will do this definitely during my second pregnancy. I'll do a lot of things differently. That's okay, M said. In my training I have learned that there are some drugs that are awaiting FDA approval, but they help nausea like this and work for my previous patient. She gave me these doTERRA pills. I looked it up and found that they were most likely snake oil and a part of what I now realize is a pyramid scheme. M vouched for them though and said that they were a more holistic approach. And man, my nausea was bad. So the following morning I took them and immediately and violently threw up. I told her and she said, Keep forcing them in your body until it takes, okay? I called my husband about this, who was pretty angry. M had come over while he was at work, and he wasn't entirely aware all this was going on. To his credit, he was going through a lot of stress on his own end with a baby on the way. So I texted M and asked her to tell me more about her formal doula training, to which she said she had none, and the previous patient she had been talking about was her sister. I've looked at videos and read up on things, she said, as vague as ever, but it's truly God's calling for me. Stay by me and I would love to continue to help you. From then on, I was more cautious about M. I asked her why she was out of work and she told me she had an invisible illness. When I asked her more specifics, she told me that her bones were wobbly and her muscles would stop working. She said it couldn't be diagnosed and that doctors didn't believe her. The one diagnosis she gave me was fibromyalgia, which I've heard is painful but I wasn't sure if this was accounting for her being out of work as she said. My mom had fibromyalgia but as I said I'm not in contact with her. To this day I don't know if M really was in that much pain, who am I to say? My point is though, it it felt off. I invited M to a friendsgiving we were having around the holidays and a friend approached me, shaking. She's talking about your abuse, my friend said. She says she's helping you through it and how you were going nowhere when she met you. I continued to host the party and eat chips, being pregnant, and confronted M about it after the party, who denied it completely. The only problem was the friend who had told me had never met M before and was saying things only M could say. So I kept my distance. I had a group chat on Facebook Messenger with close friends where I gave little updates on how the baby was doing, the gender, the name. His middle name is Fox, which is relevant later. And she was still a part of this. If I had sciatic nerve pain, she had sciatic nerve pain. When I talked about my back hurting and nausea, she had the same exact thing. Finally, she told me, You're not handicapped like me, you're pregnant. These updates you're giving me are offensive. So I removed her from the chat. Most friends were happy to hear the updates anyways. I'm actually surprised nobody got sick of me and his middle name Fox caught on. Yes, I do love the X-Files. People started talking about the name and would comment on my statuses with things like, So excited to see the little Fox. Yes, I know it's a little extra, it was my first pregnancy. M backed off a little bit and apparently, as she briefly mentioned, was in a mental hospital for some time. I didn't know if this was true. I didn't know if anything was true about her at this point. Time passed and in mid-spring she came by again. I had time to cool off and was well into the second trimester feeling a bit better. She brought by beautiful baby clothes which I was thrilled about initially and snacks. Upon looking at the clothes I saw most of them had lines on them. How sweet, I said. Yeah, M said, for your little lion pup. I laughed at this but got a sinking feeling as I opened a card from her that read, For the Little Lion, capitalized like fox in his name. At this time I was beginning to feel a little strange. My husband actually got home around the time she was there and being his chill self tried to play it off. She was openly hostile and said things like, Good luck using cloth diapers. You all will learn how to parent right eventually. You obviously haven't been parents before. Her husband came by to pick her up and swooped me into a big hug. This surprised me as Em initially told me her husband had autism, didn't like to touch people or be around them, and didn't like me. He took her home and my husband and I decided together that that was enough for M. She wasn't still invited to my baby shower in June. Time passed as it does and I grew bigger. I was on bed rest, monitoring my contractions and using crutches for sciatic nerve pain. My baby shower was sort of my last hurrah before giving birth. The night before, I got a text from Em. How could you? She says. What? I say. After a bit of prompting, she says, you gotta pack and play. I had posted some of my nursery things on Facebook. You can even see me asking reddit about bassinets deciding on a pack and play here. Yeah? I asked. You got a pack and play when I got you a bassinet as a gift. Let me just say that a bassinet was not on my registry but a pack and play was. My grandmother had given me money for one as she couldn't come to the shower. I'm actually going back to my old reddit post to see exactly what Em said. And it was this. I'm mad you got yourself a pack and play. I got you a bassinet as your gift. A pack and play makes no sense. You don't understand and you didn't take my advice. You screwed yourself over and am confused by your decisions. How could you get a pack and play before your shower? They don't even work as a bed. They work as a playpen and infants use those. You're wrong if you think infants don't play. Why are you doing this? I tried discussing safe sleep with you and feel personally negative about what you did. I'm so anxious. For some reason, I took her at face value and answered her as calmly as possible. She continued to say that my idea was poorly researched and simply a bad product. A bad product was what got me. I was about to have a baby and I was putting a lot of work into already being the best mom I could be. I was also monitoring my stress because, again, highly pregnant. I snapped and said, Honestly, I'm the mom. I'm making the decisions. If you can't accept that, I'm sorry. Then she says it. The thing she must have been thinking for some time. Just because you're the mom doesn't mean all the decisions are yours. Actually, I said, it does. I'm shaking. She then begins to send me nonsensical text messages and eventually I stop following. My phone blows up for the rest of the night and I turn it off. She did come to the shower, but close friends had heard about the situation and she was treated like a pariah. She gave me the bassinet, decorated entirely with lions, as well as a musty box full of old clothes and her hair bands. One onesie read, loved by dead grandfather in heaven, still kind of confused about that one. It's the last I see of her and I would like to say the last I heard of her, but it's not. This past year, she texted me and told me she was getting a divorce, and just to be there for her out of solidarity. Apparently, she was devastated. However, she saw said ex-husband at a mutual friend's party, and he told everyone that while he was leaving her, her verbal abuse got too much to bear, so he ended it. He also said that she was having delusions and was hostile about things that didn't even happen. We asked him with caution if he was autistic, and he said no. He even went to three doctors to get himself checked out due to her accusations, and all three said he was not. We have since gotten closer to my husband's friend Edward, as well as his wife and child. When we told him all of this, he said, Yeah, I don't go on about it, but I in fact did pick her up from a mental hospital once. She's bipolar and schizophrenic. But I can't even be sure about that. Now in light of making this post, I looked at her Facebook. Another one of her friends is pregnant and I saw her post. I love my friend's children like they were my own. So, to the pregnant friend, God help you. And don't take those doTERRA pills. This story starts around the fall of 2017. I was walking back to work from lunch when I passed this girl and noticed she got up and started walking behind me. She took a different route and didn't follow me. A few days later it happened again, but this time she was following me. I assumed she wasn't following me at the time because where my office building is situated, you have to go up a set of stairs and pass a few other buildings and she did not follow me to my building. After a while I noticed we took the same train home. A lot of the time she would be watching me. When we made eye contact, she'd look away. Then she'd continue looking when she thought I wasn't looking. There's a Whole Foods across from my office. I went there for lunch a couple of times during the week. I started seeing the girl sitting in the window for lunch and she would almost always get up as soon as I left and walk the same way I did. Around this time I began seeing her more frequently. During lunchtime or when I got to the metro she was almost always there. After a couple of months of this, I started noticing that she would get off at the same station as me sometimes. Sometimes she would walk the same way as me. Once I got to my place, I live in a condo with my brother, she would always pass by but never follow me up to the entrance. During this time I started receiving phone calls at work from random phone numbers that at the time I assumed were spam. There would either be silence on the end or the person would hang up immediately. I also started receiving fake Facebook requests from people I already knew or were already on my friends list. December of 2017 comes. By this time, I'm not going to Whole Foods as often. If she gets off at the same station as me, I go into a restaurant or go shopping for groceries before I go home. Around this time, an old friend I went to high school with contacts me kind of out of the blue. She said she wanted to follow me on Instagram. We text a couple of times and I accept her follow request. She contacts me again about a month later from a different number, but this time she's texting me frequently. I'm talking about every day or every other day. I'm not one to be mean or show when I'm annoyed too often, but after months of this, when she asks me if she's texting me too frequently, I don't hesitate to tell her that she could lay off a bit. She stops for a week or so then starts texting frequently again. This whole ordeal should have sent red flags up for several reasons. During this time, she would ask me so many random questions like, what would you do when you're trying to get to know someone? She would ask for selfies, which I declined because I don't like taking pictures of myself, and I would tell her there are plenty of pictures of me on Facebook. She would ask what I'm doing on the weekends and the names of my friends on occasion, which I wouldn't tell her because I thought it was weird that she wanted to know my friends' names. I only sent her a couple of videos of fun things I do, but that's it. August 2018 rolls around. I'm still seeing Creepy Girl everywhere during the week. I get pulled into my boss's office. He says that a few coworkers receive fake screenshots from Facebook of me talking badly about them. Now I've never posted on Facebook and would never talk badly about my coworkers on social media. I don't have a grudge with anyone. Nor do I know of anyone who has a problem with me, I'm a fairly easygoing guy. I managed to clear things up with everyone involved and still had my job. Of course my friend is still texting me fairly frequently and I tell her what happened a couple of days later when I got home from work. I tell her I don't want to get too much into it but she keeps pushing for details. I finally told her I was going to bed and she got the message. The more I thought about the time she texted me the more uneasy I got. Some things that she did just didn't make sense, especially from the way I remembered her. We had kept in touch over the years just not as frequently and we hadn't touched base for a while before I heard from her in December. A couple of weeks later I decided to reach out to my friend on Instagram, but the Instagram she last messaged me through wasn't there. However, there was still an Instagram for her that I followed, and that follows me back. I reached out to her and asked her what her phone number was. Phone number is completely different, and it turns out that she was never the one texting me, nor did she request following me on Instagram. I tracked the number, and it turns out to be from one of those fake phone number apps. I request to be blocked from the service, and I never heard from my friend again. After talking about it with my brother and a couple of friends, I'm almost 100% certain it was the girl that's been following me. These things only started after she appeared. The phone calls to my office, the fake Facebook requests. A few days before, I was pulled aside by my boss. My friend texted me and told me she had a weird feeling about me and wanted to make sure I was okay. I just thought that she was being weird at the time and didn't think too much of it. This whole ordeal is really scary when I look back on it because I sent videos of myself and my address at one point. My friend even confirmed a post my brother made with pictures he tagged me on Facebook. I was texting a stranger for 8 months about my life and they also apparently have access to my Facebook page. I still see this girl since she obviously works in the same area as me. She doesn't follow me around as much but... When she does see me on the metro, she always watches me or sits somewhere she will be able to make eye contact with me. I'm always careful now if anyone texts me from an unrecognizable phone number, and I'm just paranoid. I know the story might seem a bit all over the place, especially with the conclusion I came to of the girl posing as my friend, but I had to get this off my chest. And another reason I didn't suspect my friend wasn't really my friend at first was that she knew a lot of details about me. She obviously had my phone number but knew my mom's name and my brother's name, where I went to college and the fact that we went to high school together. She also talked about her school and major, where my friend really did go to school at the time and her real major. She even managed to find out my special nickname a few of my coworkers call me, which was when I first started getting a little uneasy. A lot of research was done on me and my friend who was impersonated. Her Instagram was public until I told her she was being impersonated, which was super scary to think about when I reflected on how much was known about me. My mom's Facebook page is also mostly public, she's a professor and an author and a public figure, not famous or anything but well known in her field, so that may have been where information and probably more pictures were collected of me. Thank you for the many suggestions, I will take them into consideration. I've seen a few people ask whether or not she's hot. The first time I saw her I thought she was attractive. When I realized she was following me all of her attractiveness flew out the window, as it should. The reason I haven't been to the police and am still hesitating is because I'm not sure if I can prove it and I know that most of the time the police don't even take stalking cases as seriously as they should. This happened in January a year and a half ago on my way into work one cold, wintry Friday morning. I had a rough start that day. I remember waking up in a panic as I realized that I was holding my phone in my hand and had been hitting snooze on my alarm for the last hour. I wasn't even given a chance to the sound. Apparently, as soon as my phone started to vibrate, which it does a second or so before the music begins to play, I would hit the side button to silence it. I was exhausted. I had already worked Monday through Thursday, 10-hour days that typically turn into 12s at that time of the year, and I had just found out that I was pregnant the week prior. So I was even more tired than normal, and this type of behavior was very unlike me. I'm always on time to work. I don't usually work on Fridays, but once a year we have our annual mandatory training for all staff members. It's definitely not a day that can be missed or one to be extremely late to, So I quickly throw on some clothes, tie my hair up into a ponytail and brush my teeth. Then out the door I went. I had 25 minutes until I had to be there so I didn't even let my car warm up. As I pulled out of my driveway I remember thinking to myself that my dad would kill me if he knew. He's a mechanic and that was something he always preached the importance of. I finally get out of the neighborhood, hit the highway and notice that my gas light is on. Another annoyance that would cut into my time but... I decided that I would stop once I got off on the exit as I had a few minutes to spare, so I did. I pull my car up to the pump and turn it off, hop out into the freezing cold to get the gas started and quickly jump back in. There's a guy, about my father's age, pumping gas into his white work truck right in front of me, but I don't really pay him much mind. Those trucks were everywhere near my workplace at that time, as it's near the river where all the bridge construction had been going on. I'm texting my friend from work letting her know where I am when I get that feeling someone is looking at me. I look up and make eye contact with the work truck guy. He quickly looks away just as I hear the gas click off. I get back out to finish and I don't think anything else about it then hop back in ready to get to work. At this point I probably had about 5 minutes left which would have been plenty considering the proximity. I press the start button. Click, click, click uh oh I thought as I did it again only to hear the same sound what do you know my car won't start battery's dead and for the second time that morning I thought of my dad and his advice if I would have just let it warm up I wouldn't be having this problem right now I try for a third time hoping it's the charm but it's no use the guy in the work truck notices at this point he starts to make his way towards me so I step out of the car he asks me if I'm having car trouble and I tell him I think my battery's dead. He tells me that it can help me, but that he doesn't have jumper cables in this particular truck. He does however only work right down the road. He is on one of the bridge crews, just as I assumed, and has a set there. He says he will run to get them and come right back. I tell him that he doesn't have to do that, but he says he doesn't mind at all. I think about it for a second. My husband's at home already asleep at this point, he works third shift and I don't want to wake him up if there's no need and my dad's already at his job. I remember thinking that he probably has a kid my age somewhere, one who would hope someone would help in this type of situation one day. That he's probably just a father trying to help so I say okay and thanked him for his help. He said no problem and that he'd be back in a couple of minutes and left to get jumper cables. I usually have a set in my car but had loaned them to my brother the week before and he hadn't returned them yet. As I'm waiting, I call my boss to let her know what was going on and that I would be in as soon as possible. She offers to send someone out there for help, but I tell her about the work truck guy and that I'll call her back if that doesn't work. By the time I hang up, he's back with the cables and we get my car started back up again. We let it run for a few minutes and make small talk That's of little importance, like typical strangers do when they're trying to fill the silence. It's during this time that he asks me if I'm a nurse. Immediately, I'm alarmed because I'm not wearing any scrubs. I think he can see the shock on my face because he quickly said that he noticed my license plate when he was pulling back in. I laughed in relief and slight embarrassment as I remember that my license plate is in fact one of the state-issued nursing ones and reply that yes, I am a nurse and that I'm actually running late for work. He asks if I work at the hospital up the road, to which I reply that no, I do not. Now he's the one that looks confused, because where else would a nurse work, right? I don't want to give too much away. I'm still a woman, and I do watch the news, and I feel a little uncomfortable with the questions, but I don't want to be rude. So I say, oh, I work at a facility not too far from here and leave it at that. I mention again how I'm running late, and he unhooks the jumper cables. I thank him again and we both get in our vehicles and drive away. I let him pull out first and then I proceed to take a roundabout way to work, just in case he was watching. I felt kind of silly, but you never know, right? I finally get to work and I jump straight into the training. I honestly don't think about what happened that morning again except here and there when coworkers ask a few questions in the break room during lunch. The long day finally comes to an end and we all head out. As I'm walking towards my car I see a piece of paper shoved down into the driver's side window. I stand there and look at it for a second, thinking of the guy from that morning and then glance around the parking lot. I don't see anything unusual and remind myself that he didn't know where I worked. I laugh for being so paranoid because it's probably a note from my best friend who actually does work at the hospital a few blocks over. We leave each other notes occasionally if we see each other's cars as we drive by. I started it back when she was going through a rough time the year before and it just kind of became our thing. As I'm sure you can guess the note wasn't from her, it was from the work truck guy that morning. I don't remember it all word for word but most of it I know I'll never forget. It made my skin crawl and thoroughly freaked me out. It listed his phone number at the top with an arrow pointing to it that said call soon love with a smiley face. It said that he felt like we had this connection, one of two souls, and that he wanted to continue to get to know me, that he knew the reason why he was at that gas pump in front of me that morning was so that he could find me because the Lord knows he has been searching for me for so many years now, that he couldn't just let me slip away, we just couldn't ignore fate like that, no, not when it had been made as clear as it was that morning. I dropped that piece of paper like it was on fire. Felt my heart drop with all the panic and paranoia that came after reading it. I was so freaked out that I immediately called my mom, my dad, and my husband. I didn't want to drive home. What if he followed me? Did he not see my wedding ring? How did he even find out where I worked? He literally had to have driven through about 20 other medical facility parking lots just to find my car because I watched him drive off in the other direction and never saw him turn around in my rear view. Trust me, I was watching. My work building is kind of hard to find too, with it being off the main road on a side street. Especially for a man that lived a couple of hours north from here, as he told me earlier during our small talk. He wouldn't have been familiar with the surrounding area enough just to come upon my car like that. I didn't walk in or out of work by myself for months after that, not until well after the bridge was finished. It's already a nightmare when I arrive to work and for part of the year when I leave, so there was no way I was going to walk across that dark parking lot by myself. I've never seen him again, but that hasn't stopped me from feeling like someone is watching me at random times. That type of paranoia just kind of sticks with you. If only I had just listened to my dad's advice and let my car warm up, but... That's a mistake I have not, and will not, ever make again. I went out earlier to celebrate a close friend's birthday with a couple of other friends. Everything went fine, despite it being in a park in a bad part of the city. I don't drive. I'm female, 16, so I tend to take the bus anywhere I need to go, as it's not only quicker and safer than walking, but... It's a convenient way to get from one part of the city to the next. I had hopped onto the bus I would need to take to get home and it was starting to get dark outside as it was approximately 9.20pm. This didn't bother me as I was sure that once I got back in my area I wouldn't need to worry about any real danger. Little did I know how wrong I could be. The bus arrived at a mall parking lot where it stays for a few minutes to give the driver a break before continuing the route which is when they'll get off for a few minutes and have a smoke or something like that. As I was waiting for a driver to get back on and continue the route, I spotted a man through the window parallel to me. He was staring right at me, which quite understandably unsettled me a bit. Maybe five minutes later, the driver opens the door to get back on, letting the guy who was staring at me outside the bus on. It was much later at this point, nearing 10 p.m., so the bus wasn't very crowded. There was about five other people on there, so there was no shortage of seats, but that didn't stop him from walking to the back of the bus where I was sitting. I was in the second to last row of seats and he proceeded to sit behind me. Considering the fact that he was staring right at me through the window a few minutes ago, I was becoming a bit paranoid. I brushed it off as my anxiety getting the better of me, but things still just didn't feel right. It didn't take long to get to my stop from there, and I proceeded to pull the cord and get off the bus. However, I looked behind me out of habit and saw he got off too. This is when some red flags began to raise in my mind. All this was becoming a bit too much to be coincidence. He ended up calling out to me and for some reason I stopped to hear him out for just a moment despite my better judgment. After all, I was on my own street now. Even so, I decided to let my guard down for a minute I may be soft hearted but I'm not stupid, that was my first mistake, I should have kept on walking. I took off my headphones and asked him to repeat himself, as I hadn't heard what he said the first time. The first thing he says is, please be my girlfriend. Some assume that having random guys asking them such a question would be a huge compliment, but considering that I have no clue who he was, it was late at night and that I'm still technically a minor in my country I was more than freaked out attempting to keep a straight and serious face I quickly replied uh, please don't I I don't know you looking back on it I could have responded much better and perhaps this wouldn't have gotten so out of hand if I had but fight or flight was kicking in and all logic had left me at that point without waiting for a response I turned away and began walking faster that was my second mistake Usually I know not to turn your back on someone who could be potentially dangerous and to try and have your back facing a wall or the side of the house so they can't get behind you, but for the same reason above it hadn't occurred to me. He was still shouting, insisting that I give him my phone number, to which I loudly yelled, Please just leave me alone! He asked me again for it, becoming more forceful with his words as I sped up trying to lose him. His insistence was making me nervous as he was becoming more persistent. Wait, wait, phone number! I want your phone number! Give me your phone number! Was the sentence I kept hearing as he followed me, every time telling him no and to leave me alone. I've had enough sense left in my head to turn around and take in as many identifying details as I could in the case that things went badly. I Didn't know what he could have had planned and there are frequent issues with stabbings and human trafficking in my city So needless to say I was terrified. I Was almost home, but he was still following me at this point Continuing to yell at him to give him my phone number and every time I kept giving him the same answer hoping he'd back off He had followed me into my parking lot and at that point I was running I'm not athletic but needless to say I valued my life and didn't want to take a chance with losing it as he easily could have had a weapon on him. I got into my house safe but I worried that he saw me go in. Told my mom about the guy and she was right angry. Posted his description and the story of what happened on her Facebook just to be safe. Right now it's a bit past midnight but I know I won't be sleeping a wink. The whole situation stressed me out so bad that I don't even want to close my eyes just so I can be prepared if something like a break-in happens, you can never be too sure. I've been talking with a close friend of mine who has helped calm me down immensely after the whole stalking incident and I can't be more grateful. I still can't help but wonder what his intentions were. Was he just a normal guy who didn't know when enough was enough? I'm a fairly average looking person and I just wasn't getting good vibes from him, so I'm not convinced that was it, leading me to believe it was something way more sinister. My friend, I'll call him Zack, was feeling pretty down for a few days. This was odd behavior for him as Zach was usually very upbeat, laid back, and happy-go-lucky. I also worked with Zach so we'd see each other very often. I finally found out Zach was shook up by learning that one of his friends, I'd never met her but she was a longtime friend of Zach's, was found murdered in her garage. This was some pretty dark stuff that I won't go into detail about but after some more talks I decided we'd have another friend, I'll call him Host, throw a house party. Hosts loved hosting parties, but also felt weird just hosting them for no reason. He'd regularly ask about birthdays, accomplishments, and other such life events, searching for a reason to throw a party. I explained what was going on to Host and that Zack hadn't been doing anything but going to work, then drinking himself to sleep when he was off. It was starting to take a visible toll on Zack, and Hosts agreed that he'd throw a party under some other guys so we could try to get Zach out of the house to be out with some friends. Now at this point, it's good to know that Host was a big scary dude. He was 300 pounds or so, stood easily over 6 foot 2 and only had one arm. He was also a felon but was trying, or so we thought, to turn his life around. Host certainly had some connections that you didn't want to meet and we'd later learn he was also involved in some incredibly illegal things. But we didn't know that yet. So the party comes around and we carpooled over. There were hundreds of people here. A couple of beer pong tables and a pool table in the basement. A room with no lights beyond a TV playing visualizations and music that was much more mellow than the music in the rest of the party for people enjoying other things or just needing a dark quiet place to relax for a little ground floor had food and movies and the top floor with bedrooms for well I'm sure you can guess when we got there Zach was pretty unconvinced he'd have a good time but I convinced him to play a round of beer pong with me and host got a friend to play against us host kind of winked at me and him and his friend through the game so we kept the table for the next game and the next people to come play us the next team were two close friends of ours and I don't think they threw the game like host did, but Zach and I won One of them comes up later, in a minor role, but I'll name him Tyler. Up came the next team. It was another friend of ours, we'll call her Mel, and a guy none of us had ever met, which wasn't too weird at a party this size, but we'd been to enough of host parties that we were pretty well known and recognized a lot of faces. Being the friendly sort, we introduced ourselves to him. Hey, uh, I'm OP, and this is Zach. You've already met Mel. Uh, What's up? loaf. Hey, I'm Zach. Yeah, loaf. What's your name? Loaf. Like a loaf of bread? And he just stares at me. Uh, well, all right, loaf. We're undefeated so far, so good luck, but we're going to destroy you. Zach was beginning to look and act a lot like his usual happy self. We played and actually lost, so we congratulated them. Mel did some pretty standard trash talk and showboating and Loaf didn't say a word after the game to us and actually refused to shake our hand over a good game. I was starting to get weird vibes from him, so I tapped Zach to come outside for a cigarette with me. Dude, does Loaf seem weird? Yeah man, I was just going to ask you the same thing. Something seems off about him. I don't know, maybe I'm just still in the funk. Nah man, something is off, I... What kind of name is Loaf even? It's like the name an alien chooses. At this point, Tyler joined us. He didn't smoke, but he wanted to check on Zach to see if he was feeling better. Tyler did some trash talk about losing to Mel and Loaf and said he was going to go beat them when his turn was up if they were still at the table when his turn came around. Tyler went in to get us new beers and Zach and I had another cigarette. Tyler came back and we kept talking. A little later, Mel joined us. Oh, did y'all lose? No, that dude just walked away in the middle of the game without saying anything. He's super sketchy. Yeah, we were just saying that. Maybe he's going to drug someone. Maybe he's a murderer. Tyler then realized how bad of a joke that was in front of his Zach and excused himself to tell Host to keep an eye on this guy as we all had that same weird vibe about him. Zach and I stayed outside and just kind of talked about the friends he lost. A little while later we went back inside and Tyler and his friend were dominating the beer pong table. But we couldn't find Loaf. We found Hosts and asked if he had seen him. All Hos said was very calm and cold. He left. It was an odd answer but we didn't think much of it. The night went on a little longer and at one point... Tyler had told us that when he went to warn Host, he was already talking to Loaf about something and could tell he wasn't invited to the conversation by their hushed tone, body language, and glare as he approached. As he walked away, he heard Host beginning to raise his voice and tell something to the effect of, you don't bring that stuff around my house. When Tyler turned around, Host had Loaf pinned to the wall by his neck and was beating him in the face with the stump of his other arm. Loaf left shortly after this and Tyler made himself scarce, pretending like he saw nothing. The rest of the night was uneventful. A few weeks later though, Mel, Tyler, Zach, and a few others were blowing up my phone around 8am. I woke up to see what the commotion was and learned Loaf wasn't his name at all. He was on the news arrested under suspicion of multiple murders, one of which was actually Zach's friend. We played beer pong with the guy who was later convicted of murdering Zach's friend. A little later we learned Host was dealing cocaine, facilitated a prostitution ring, and was upset with Loaf for confessing a murder he did that night. We suspect Host was worried that the cops may have followed him here and that was the stuff he couldn't be bringing around here. A little while later, Host had his house raided and was arrested for a number of things... Ultimately, we all felt kind of stupid for going to this guy's place as many times as we did and considered ourselves lucky that nothing happened to us. My entire life, my dad has been a bus driver and because of this, I grew up loving riding on buses. Even have a free bus pass through my dad, which I use a lot. This happened about a year ago. My dad was driving the bus to and from the town to the next city. It's about an hour and 45 minutes each way. Since I had some work to catch up on and the bus had Wi-Fi, I decided to tag along and get some of it done. I sat at the back on the top deck, leaned up against the corner with my laptop out. The way there was good. I actually finished all my work. After we got to the city, there was a 10-minute break, so I bought myself a drink, but the whole time... I felt someone was watching me, but when I looked around, no one seemed to have even noticed me. Everyone was busily walking to their buses, but I just couldn't shake the feeling. After I bought my drink and did my thing in the bathroom, I went out and boarded the bus with my dad. I walked upstairs and sat back down in my original seat. As the bus pulled away, I still felt someone was watching me, so I moved to about halfway down the bus. So I would be closer to the stairs and therefore closer to my dad. However, because I still had an hour and a half, I didn't want to sit downstairs in case someone tried to sit next to me. Fast forward half an hour. I have one hour remaining till I get off, and that's when I notice him. A very tall man, probably around six foot three, walking down the bus, neck bent to the side so he didn't bang his head. He sat down in the seat across the aisle from mine. He just sat down and stared at me, for the next half an hour he just sat and stared. He didn't move, he didn't even seem to blink. I decided at the next stop to pretend to get off and go sit downstairs. Someone rings the bell, I stand up before the bus has stopped moving and walk downstairs. The tall guy follows me, closely. He was pressed up against me as I stood in the bottom step, waiting for the bus to stop so I wasn't thrown forwards. I move to sit at the back of the bus. The back rows of the downstairs of the bus had five seats facing forward and then two seats facing backwards on each side. I sit on one of the backwards facing seats in front of an older lady, late 30's or early 40's. The guy follows me and sits on the middle back seat facing forward staring at me. I give the woman in front of me these help me eyes as best I could. She gave me a brief sympathetic smile before picking up her stuff and pressing the bell to get off the bus. I had 50 minutes left. The man moved seats, sliding over, so he sat in the seat diagonal from me with his feet on the seat next to me, preventing my escape. The next 30 minutes were agonizing. He stared at me. He stared in my soul. It was terrifying. He was tall and imposing, but his face was soft. He was a very skinny man, but his face was chubby and strange looking. I usually associate chubby faces with smiles and happiness, but his was different, contorted and sour looking. Pulling up to the bus station in my town, less than a minute and I'm free and that's when it happened. As soon as he stood up to get off the bus, he smiled and waved at me. I, trying not to offend him, lifted my hand and put it back down again. I turned to grab my bag off the floor and he did it, he basically jumped on top of me. He held me down and tried to kiss me. I screamed at the top of my lungs and my dad moved quicker than I'd ever seen out of the cab. My dad is 6 foot tall and over 300 pounds so he's a huge looking man especially in a bus. He screams at the man, to get off my daughter James before I get you off her. I've never heard anything so loud in my life. This man flew off of me and ran towards my dad, who stepped into the gap between some seats to let him pass. The man ran. He ran off the bus and just kept running until we went around a corner and I couldn't see him. My dad walked over to me and hugged me. He just held me for a good minute, apologizing me to the whole time. After I got home that night, my dad explained to me who the man was. His name was James, and he's known for doing this to women. Staring at them and then trying to kiss them before he gets off. He's deaf and dumb and uses that as his defense, saying that he didn't know that they had to say no despite people shoving him away and once breaking his nose. They had tried to get him banned from the buses, but he wrote a complaint to the head office and they revoked the ban without consulting the depot. The next day, my dad pulled the footage from the bus and sent it to the police, but nothing ever came of it besides him having a permanent, unrevocable ban from riding on anything owned by the company. That's buses, some metro trains, and a couple of ferries. James, the bus guy, stopped me from riding buses for at least six months. Even now, I'm apprehensive about riding buses, alone. I'm not usually scared to go out alone in the late night hours if I know my surroundings very well and especially if I need to. I'm a small petite girl about 5 foot 2 and 130 pounds. I always carry around pepper spray and if I'm going to the store or something I'll text my boyfriend and let him know exactly what I'm doing. Sometimes I'll even send him my current location to let him know exactly where I'm at in case anything goes south. On this day. I was heading to work at a bar and didn't have time to stop and get gas beforehand. After work I had planned to visit my boyfriend who lives about 80 miles away. Once I got off of work I knew I needed to get gas and it was extremely late, about 2am. I usually stop at this gas station on my way to the city my boyfriend lives in for several reasons. The inside is open, it's brightly lit, the cameras are up to date, there is always a guy inside and he lets me use the bathroom even though it's designated for employees, so it's pretty nice. On my way driving there, I look around at the other stores and places and notice a blue truck parked at another gas station across the street. I'm waiting for the stoplight and look to my right. The gas station I'm going to is directly across from this gas station. There's a car, just parked at a pump with no one pumping gas, no one around, and the gas station is obviously closed. So as I'm looking, I think, yeah, that's definitely odd. I turn my head straight and the street light turns green and I proceed to the other gas station across the street. I see another car there, so I'm thinking, thank God there's another person. I go inside, give the cashier some money and then proceed back to my car. I left my phone in my car and had the gas door open and my keys have pepper spray, so I had that ready. As I'm standing there waiting, the guy at the other pump leaves and I'm like, oh boy. Now I'm alone at that pump. I'm staring at the gas station across the street. The blue truck has probably been parked there for maybe 7 minutes now, and if you're using debit, that's probably a long time to be at the pump. It was there as I drove here, there as I pumped gas, and is going to be there once I leave. Right when my gas is almost finished, a guy starts running from across the street. He looks disheveled, not homeless, but hasn't showered for a couple of days. He wore a black faded oversized hoodie, baggy jeans, and he was bald. His beard was a bit grown out and he was Hispanic. He looked to be about 35 to 40 years old or maybe younger, I'm a bad judge when it comes to age. I'm at pump 5, let's say, and he keeps his distance at pump 4. He asked me if he can borrow my phone to make a call. I was thinking of an excuse like, I don't have a phone or it's dead, but then no one would believe that anymore, so I just kept saying, sorry, no. He claimed the blue truck across the street was his and then he was having trouble with his car. He kept insisting that his phone was dead and that he needs to call a friend to help him with his car troubles. Now I'm thinking, what a total liar. There's a Denny's right across the street and another gas station and a Safeway are all still open. Not to mention, there was another guy here pumping gas earlier. Why couldn't you come and ask him if your blue truck was parked there for some time? He literally left before you came. If he was in dire need of help, he would have went inside and asked the cashier or went to those other locations where there were more people. So I kept saying sorry, no. I finished pumping gas, hauled it to my car and left. I called my boyfriend and told him about the blue truck and the weird dude. A couple of weeks after that I went to the same gas station but at an earlier time maybe at 12am. And guess what I saw? The same blue truck parked at the same pump. I was with my boyfriend this time and there were more people at the gas station. I told my boyfriend I wasn't lying and that was the same blue truck I saw last time. Fast forward to a couple of weeks ago. I ran across a post from a girl in my city where I pumped the gas. She reposted a Facebook post about weird guys going around and doing exactly what that guy did to me. It was also saying something about human trafficking recruiters. Now you can imagine how I'm feeling while reading this. It might not be the same guy, or it could be, who knows. Maybe there's people going around doing the same thing. I usually would love to help out a stranger if they needed it, but this guy just didn't seem like he needed help. Hey friends, thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe and click that notification bell to be alerted of all future narrations. If you got a story, be sure to submit them to my subreddit, rlet'sreadofficial, and give and receive feedback from the community, and maybe even hear your story featured on the next video and join my Discord to interact with me and other listeners directly. And if you want to support me even more, grab early access to all future narrations for just $1 a month on Patreon, and maybe even pick up some Let's Read merch on Spreadshirt. And check out the Let's Read podcast, where you can hear all these stories in long compilation form and save huge on data located on both Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Links in the bio. Thanks so much, friends, and remember... Apple cider vinegar can cure anything.